Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Welcome to Star Wars Action News 2011 Comic-Con coverage coming to you actually post-Comic-Con because Marjorie picked up the creeping crud of Comic-Con. I did, and I am having a really good day today, even though I don't quite sound like myself, but suffice it to say, cover your mouth when you cough, or if you're sick, don't come. Well, it could have been on the airplane, too. It could have been, yeah. But we apologize for not getting the show out a couple days earlier. However, I honestly think that not only was Marjorie's sickness partially accountable, she got sick on Saturday, but I believe our entire timeline can be traced if you follow the butterfly effect. The butterfly flapped his wings on preview night at the Hasbro booth. Yes, he did. That was a disaster. Of epic proportions. I'm not even kidding. I stood in the same spot for 90 minutes. And I'd stood there for an hour beforehand. Yes. I Let me describe preview nights to our listeners. And, I mean, if you've been listening to us for a while, we've done Comic-Con several times. You know, preview night, you have to be a four-day badge holder, and you have to have a special four-day badge that gets you a four-day plus preview night. And as I understood, there were actually some panels this year. Steve Sansweet was telling me that there was some programming this year, whereas in previous years, it was a pure exhibit hall shopping night. I didn't even know about the panels because I was there for the exclusives. It was honestly nothing you'd be interested in. That's why I never bothered mentioning it. And preview night for me is always a great night to get all of our shopping done, get the exclusives out of the way, have it all taken care of, easy peasy. And last year, when the floor opened for preview night, Jacob and I were pretty far up in the line to get into the exhibit hall, and we went straight to the Hasbro booth, and we stood in line for... Jacob says an hour. My memory says maybe an hour and a half or so. But we got through the line. We got our exclusives. We had them all done. You carried a Galactus around the rest of the night. I did. It was like a guy magnet. So this year, Jacob was telling me I was talking Hallmark. I was all about the Hallmark ornaments. Had to have the bounty hunters. But you wanted the Her Universe charm bracelet. I did the charm bracelet. And I wanted that. And so I hopped in the Hallmark line while you... Picked up things here and there. and you got- Well, it, it was a strange occurrence because I was going to go to her universe for you because I figured it would be quick and you were going to go to Hallmark for us. Yes. But then I was then going to go to Hasbro to get in line at Hasbro. Well, Jacob talked to me. He's like, they're going to close the line and you got to get in the line before they close it. You should hold off on her universe and go to Hasbro. And so I listened to that advice and the doors open and we were way up front mm-hmm. to get into the exhibit hall. And we go, and despite 
everybody shouting every single day, no running. We were sprinting. At least I was. I was too. I left you guys behind. You guys were following the rules. And I got into the Hasbro line. And- well, I, I'd follow the rules after they told me no running. And then I'd run to the next person told me not to run. <laughs> By the time I got to the Hasbro booth, maybe 60 seconds after they opened the doors, the line had filled the entire cattle area, then circled the entire booth. And I was back around at the outside, but I was in the line. And then our friend Tobiah joined us and joined me. He was got in line behind me. And I'm like, all right, Tobiah, hold my place. And because I left you behind, I went over to the Hallmark line. because, And you weren't there yet, I thought. I was. However, their credit card machine is broken, so I had to run out and try to find an ATM. Then I had a fight to get back onto the floor because... <laughs> I had left, and they didn't believe me, but luckily one of the security guards remembered me and yelled at one of the other guys to let me through already. Well, I didn't see you there, so I just got in the Hallmark line with Tobio holding my spot over at Hasbro, and then you called me and said you needed cash, and I had some cash. I came prepared, but while you were running around, I made friends with the guy in the Hallmark line. I was looking right across from where I was standing. There's the Her Universe booth. So I asked the guy in the Hallmark line to hold my spots while I run to Her Universe. Now, there was no way to get Her Universe, and I got you the bracelet, and unfortunately, you were, you're really into Her Universe, as it should be, I guess, because... But it's also his universe now. Well, they have one item, and it's non-Star Wars, and it's a couple thing. Yeah. They haven't made any boys-only material. But... Because you were the one wanting this, and I was so harried, I just went up and went, you have an exclusive, I don't know what it is, but I need to buy it for my wife. <laughs> and they're like, yes, we have this exclusive toaster necklace. They're like, toaster, okay, wait, no, no, it, I'm pretty sure that's not it, it's something Star Wars. <laughs> And they're like, oh, well, we have the Naboo charm. Okay. Isn't there something like a bracelet? Or, yeah, there's the charm. Okay, give me both of those. So by the time I'm finished figuring out what they had exclusive, you'd shown back up and gotten back in the Hallmark line at your previous place because you'd made friends with Which the person. Which is way ahead of you. Yes. Well, I'd gone to Hasbro for it. So I went back to Hasbro and Tobiah, who was standing in the same place. Yeah. Now, only... Maybe seven minutes had passed between the time I left Hasbro and the time I got back, so I thought nothing of it. I then stand there for probably another half an hour while you check out at Hallmark, and thankfully you did get the Hallmark exclusive ornaments. I did, yes. They had a huge line. They did. And and there I, were other exclusive ornaments. I always forget that. <laughs> Whoops. There were? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's right. They had like a DC one last year. Yeah, there was some other stuff this year. I don't know what it was. Other people were buying it. I'm like, wait, there's others? <laughs> You got that, which was a major victory that was completely overshadowed by the rest of the evening. Yes. And then you came, and we swapped out, and our friend Emily was with us there, too. Mm -hmm. Jacob's wife. Jacob's wife. And so security was really tight on the Hasbro line. On I our made friends side. with the security guy. At least on our side. Yeah, the security guy had like a filthy mind because <laughs> I'm like saying to the security guard, you're going to take my place and I'm going to go run some other errands. And I tell him it's a one for one swap. But he's seen me standing there talking to Emily and he looks at me and goes, or is it two for one? I'm like, no, Emily's been in line the whole time. He's like, that's not what I meant. And then all of a sudden I realize he's making a menage a trois joke. <laughs> or a big love joke. Yeah, yeah. So that was both flattering and awkward, and then I went on my very way. <laughs> I went and ran a couple errands for Marjorie, got her yes. a t-shirt she wanted, took some photographs for the site. And got me some other things I wanted as payment. Came back maybe a half an hour later, and you were in the exact same spot. Yeah, we had moved. And so It was a common theme throughout the night. 
I just stick around at this point. I should have probably gone and done other stuff, but I'm like, well, it can't be that much longer. We spent two and a half hours in line, and I would say we didn't move for the first two hours of it. Yeah, that's about right. So who was getting through the line? It's not like they had a broken credit card machine like Hallmark or anything else, but people kept getting in the front of the line. Either somebody would get up to the front and then wave over their friends that's who would come down. A lot. We saw that a lot. And a lot of times people would see their friends walking by and they'd invite their friends in line with them and increase the line. Now, the security guy on our side was very good about that. And he was honestly came close to being decked a couple times because people were ticked off at him. And his boss was also very nice. He looked like the guy from the Miller Lite commercial. And he almost came to blows a few times with people. And they said one time, it's just toys. Go to the end of the line. But the line was capped. It was capped, yeah. you know, just a couple minutes after I was in it. And, but I felt confident. I'm like, even if we sit here the whole night, Hasbro gives tickets. And so we'll come back in the morning and finish what we began. So we sit in that line till about 8.15. Then the hushed murmurs start in the crowd. No tickets. We're not getting in. At 8.30, whoever's not in the roped cattle area isn't getting anything. And I'm like, that can't be. They capped the line. They wouldn't just Take half the cap line and say, go F yourself. Fooled you. <laughs> yes, go fool yourself. But I was a little concerned, so I went up and talked to one of the ladies there in a blue shirt, who I would see again later that evening, and asked her. And she's like, yeah, that is correct. If you're not in the roped area by 830, you get nothing. And I said, well, what about tickets? And she goes, we don't have any tickets. How can I give out tickets when I don't have any? We just don't have any tickets. If you're not in, you have to go to the pavilion tomorrow to get your ticket to come back at some time tomorrow. And this was unfortunate news. And then 830 comes and we are maybe 25 people from the roped area, not even close. And people up closer are starting to be like, back to back, take off your backpacks, scrunch together, help us win. But of course, the people in the roped area are kind of like, screw you, I want my personal space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I can't necessarily blame them in that regard. And so we were hosed. They closed it off and said, no tickets. Now, I tried to handle this constructively. I went over and started talking to some of the people in the line, thinking, all right, Maybe there's some people here. The Starscream G.I. Joe Transformers crossover was the hottest toy. The first to sell out. The first to sell out Tuesday morning at HasbroToyShop.com. Maybe there's some G.I. Joe Transformers collectors who will help out a fan and help out a collector. So I talked to some of the people in line. And everybody I talked to for the first dozen people said... I'll sell it to you at a profit. I already have the sheet filled out. I'm buying the maximum of everything Star Wars, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and Transformers. They weren't even, like, happy about it or sad about it. It's, this is my business and business is good. Yeah, it was miserable. I finally found one guy who I actually knew from previous years, Alfredo. And Alfredo offered to help me out. And he was in line. And he's like, yeah, you need a Death Star? Not a problem. So I started counting the money to give him so he could get me the Death Star. And security guard came and said, no handing money over the rope. I'm like, this is the same security guard. This is not the good one that you were talking about. This Mm -hmm. is the same security guard guarding the exit that he kept letting people come in from. Yep, it was. But I couldn't just hand a guy who was already legitimately in line some money. So it became a very frustrating evening at this point. It got worse. I tried to handle it constructively. Other people started acting childish. About 50 people began a chant of Hasbro sucks. Hasbro sucks behind the booth. Yeah. I mean, it it didn't go on very long, but maybe a minute, minute and a half. 
I'm like, okay, well, uh, I'm, on the one hand, I'm hoping someone in charge heard the frustration because there were a lot of people chanting. It was very audible. On the other hand, it's not like chanting that hatred is going to get them to change their mind about anything. No. I then saw somebody, and if anyone of our listeners can find me this video on YouTube, I would love to see it. He had like one of those little tablets. It wasn't an iPad. It was one of the smaller ones, like the Samsung or something, maybe a seven-inch screen, chasing that woman who told me there were no tickets around going... Why will Hasbro not provide tickets for people in line? Why did you turn us away? Why will you not sell us the toys? What can you say on the record? And this woman was fleeing. And on the one hand, it probably made her look like she was trying to dodge the questions, like a Bernie Madoff type situation. When in fact, I think the truth is, having worked at large companies, there are PR people hired for a reason. Mm -hmm. And if you speak to any form of media, including a guy with a little palm pre- you can lose your job. So I think she was fleeing because anything she said can and will be used against her in her next annual evaluation. Yeah, this was not how it's run in the years past. This year is particularly bad. There are people leaving with cases of the exclusives. They'd have hand trucks leaving from Hasbro's booth. Now, I did snap a photo of somebody taking two cases of Sentinels out, but I didn't have the camera out because I was purchasing, not photojournalizing at this moment. But there were cases of Death Stars coming out. And I was talking to Steve Sansweet. He's like, you know, I saw a guy with four cases of the Death Stars. And I didn't think much of it. But now that you mention it, Hasbro wouldn't be using the front door to leave. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, people were getting case upon case upon case of these, even though they were limit one Death Star per person. And that's what happens is they get to the checkout. Hey, Jojo, blah, blah, and Jenny, come on and join me in line. And then they would all fill out. And I don't, I don't even know if they were doing that or if it was like they have my credit card or something. But I don't know what they were doing, but you would see one person go up there and then all of a sudden they'd have a, a horde with them. And every single person would check out and leave with boxes, boxes of things. And again, everyone seemed to be buying the maximum of every item. Well, the maximum wasn't very many. Well, for the Death Star, it was one. But yeah. like for some of the G.I. Joe figures, it was four. For some of the Marvel stuff, it was four. And you could... Be saying to yourself, listener, maybe they didn't want to help a stranger. Maybe they didn't have a kind heart. But no, they showed me the form. It was filled out completely. I mean, this was their kind of way of mea culpa, but they'd happily sell me the thing at inflated prices at the end versus taking it back to their online eBay store. Yeah. And somebody did ask, what's different this year? What made it worse this year than other years? And I honestly think a lot of it could be transferred back to the Transformers hype. This is a Transformers year. There were a lot of Transformers exclusives. G.I. Joe is always hot. Last year, the G.I. Joe exclusives were the first to sell out. This year, it happened again. And as for Star Wars, maybe because it was such a big ticket item, they saw, you know, a 10% increase on a $140 item is better than a 10% increase on a $14 item. Yeah. Although it ended up being a 100% increase for them. But that, you know, I'm just saying they're playing the numbers game, perhaps, but... I do want to give a major shout out to listener IQ because he was able to help us out and he did get us a Death Star set. And thank you so much because getting turned away like that and the way the lines were for the pavilion, as I understood it, the line was three hours long at the pavilion oh, before it man. ever opened. And then you'd have to go back and stand in line there. I mean, you're talking your entire day of your trip at the minimum just for that. And we had plans for that Thursday. I couldn't just go back and spend the entire day sitting in the Hasbro line. So thank you to him. 
Now, on the Tuesday after the convention, this went online at HasbroToyShop.com. Now, a few problems with this. <laughs> First, every year at Comic-Con, Hasbro Toy Shop, on the back of their order forms, has a coupon code. for. It, I think it used to be 20% off. This year, it's 10% it off. 10, yeah. And if you're placing any order at HasbroToyShop.com in the next couple weeks, that code is COMIC2011. You get 10% off your order. And it doesn't say it on the coupon, but I've heard that it also gives free shipping. So your mileage may vary on the shipping. But they put it up. Now, it was $140 at Comic-Con. It was 130 online, but the 140 counted California state sales tax, whereas the online price of 130 you pay the sales tax of whatever state you're in. But if you had the coupon code, which we were putting in our new release newsletter, which you can subscribe to, and also posting to our Facebook wall, and I think we were the first ones out there because I was refreshing to see when it came up so we could let our listeners know, because I know a lot of people didn't get them. Right there, you were saving $13 over the price if you go to the con, which, <clears throat> that's a little bit of a pain. But there were a limited amount. There were a limited amount. The other thing is, they sold out at the convention. By Saturday afternoon, the line was dead, and I went over, and I'm like, oh, the line's dead. I'd never gotten to the mm -hmm. front of the line, not mm -hmm. once. And so I'm like, well, if the line's dead, maybe I'll finally get a chance to check out. I went over. They were sold out of almost everything by Friday in the mid-afternoon. So they were sold out. So people who went to the convention couldn't get a Death Star because they were told they were sold out, but yet they sold some online. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of unfairness. And I've been on this show very recently saying I'm pro-exclusive, and I understand that, and this is the breaks. I just feel it was very frustrating, not just for me, but for everybody in that line, the person chasing the lady with the Palm Prix, the 50 people chanting Hasbro sucks, that Hasbro should have given us a ticket. That's all I'm saying. Should we have been guaranteed a Death Star? No. No, that's not what you're asking. You're just asking for another shot after, obviously, the system they had in place that night was broken. They gave tickets to the people in the rope, which I don't think I mentioned yet. At 9 o'clock, the floor closes, and you cannot sell per Comic-Con rules. Registers have to be turned off. So at 9 o'clock, we were still standing there trying to just dumbfounded, really, at what had happened. And the woman who looked at me, the woman being chased by the Palm Prix, the woman who looked me in the eye and said, we have no tickets, handed a ticket to everyone in the roped area. So it's not like they stayed open until the roped area was done. They handed them the tickets that she blatantly lied to me and said they didn't have. I would much rather be told a harsh truth than a convenient lie. Yeah. That is an inexcusable thing. If you just tell me, too bad, so sad, these are our arbitrary rules... If you can't say that, if you can't look at your customer and say that, maybe that's a rule you shouldn't have. And all I'm saying is we should have gotten a ticket so that the three hours we spent that night was was a possibility to be continued <laughs> instead of a reboot your system, your work is lost, you didn't have autosave turned on, so sad. Now, when it went up for order on Hasbro Toy Shop, servers crashed. Well, yeah. There were a lot of frustration on the internet. Jedi Temple Archives and Yak Face both started running stories of people saying they're going to quit Hasbro collecting and this was the last straw. And, you know, distribution has been a problem with Hasbro. We've talked about that many times. This isn't a distribution issue. But this was yet another case of making it difficult to impossible to find the toys without going to eBay. Okay, but it's a convention exclusive. It is. And, and there's been many times that you and I either couldn't afford, didn't have vacation time, whatever, to go to conventions, and we had to go to eBay. That's part of the game. If I can go back into our archives, we didn't go to Baltimore. <laughs> 
with the Gentle Giant World Tour, we didn't have the money to go to Baltimore or chose not to spend the money that way. What the hell am I going to do in Baltimore? Exactly. Baltimore. Freaking Baltimore. So I chose the eBay route. And for a couple of those Gentle Giant mini busts, I had to pay highly inflated prices, but it was still cheaper than going. And I was posting on Facebook. I was mortified, mortified when we went to ship our stuff home that we had $275 in shipping charges to get our stuff home. A lot of it was the Death Star. A lot of it was the Death Star. And they charged a lot for a giant box to put the Death Star in. And I started thinking, you know, for that $275, I probably could have just bought all of those items shipped from scalpers. Because the scalpers have cheaper shipping than walking into FedEx needing to buy a box and needing to pay FedEx shipping rates, whereas other shipping companies are sometimes quite a bit cheaper. And having just more time, because I saw on eBay, the night of preview night, I went to eBay to look, and there was a guy selling three of the Death Star sets. One seller, three Death Star sets. Remember that limit one per person, boys and girls? Yeah. He was selling it for a buy it now of 205 with 20 in shipping. I don't know how he was shipping it for 20 bucks. I don't either, but I, I would love to know because it cost me over $50 just to ship that Death Star counting the box, the packing materials, and the shipping. They didn't charge us for the packing materials. Well, there you go. I still think, though, it's a good exclusive. And I went to Facebook because when Jedi Temple and Yak Face were posting, people were frustrated. I'm like, it's an exclusive. If you hadn't gotten the Hallmark ornaments that night and if we'd gone every time and not gotten them, I'd be like, well... It's an exclusive. Jacob, who's going to be on the show later, talking about some really cool 3A toys, wanted a 3A toy. Sometimes they only would sell eight in a day. And he'd wait in line from like 5 a.m. and race right down there and be ninth in line and not He's hardcore in his exclusives. He is. But I never saw him once complain about it. He never once said he deserved one or something. He just, the next day, resolved to get up earlier and earlier, and one day he got up at quarter till four in the morning to go get in line, and he got it. And he was really happy. But I posted on Facebook, I'm like, uh, my attitude is this is the way it is as far as the online ordering. I mean, people were complaining Hasbro's service crashed. Well, haven't we seen that happen with Sideshow? Haven't we seen that happen with Gentle Giant? I just expect a server to crash when I'm trying to buy something online that a lot of people want. Now, if I go to buy a pair of shoes from Piperlime, I don't expect their servers to crash. However, if they're having an insanely low price on shoes, the server's going to crash. When it doesn't, I'm pleasantly surprised, and I tip my little tiny hat to them. Well, out of all the feedback we got, I saw some of both camps. Some people going, it's an exclusive. This is what exclusives do. And some people going, it's not fair, they're making it too hard. A lot of people did express what I suspected, and that is that this was the straw that broke the camel's back, not the brick, because they were already so frustrated with distribution problems and everything else. I mean, it's what made me go to Brian's Toys One of Every Figure Club. When the figures were plentiful and able to be gotten just by regular toy runs, I never joined that club. Several of our staff members, Brock was in the One of Every Figure Club, I didn't see the purpose. When you can't get it, all of a sudden that one of every figure club goes from a convenient service to a godsend because I get all the figures. And with this, this just seems to be that people became used to getting them online. All the previous exclusives. We always, we use the droids, the Macquarie droids as like the epitome of this when the exclusives are available, but Almost every Star Wars exclusive has been readily available at HasbroToyShop.com after the con. And this time, they reduced the numbers. They made it more exclusive. And it's caused some frustration, which I can empathize with, but 
it, I'm not shocked by it. I'm not shocked by the exclusivity. I'm not shocked that this was hard to get after seeing it at the con. I remember before the con, I said on the show, I didn't know how well it would sell at 140. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know how many they produced either. I still wonder if the fact that that wave is delayed impacted production numbers and they made less of them than they wanted to make. Well, you know, I'd like to point out, though, on the flip side, people get really ticked off when exclusives available online for like in, in voluminous quantities. I mean, the, oh, and for, for example, the McCoy George in Celebration mm-hmm. 4, first of all, on the last day of the convention, they're marked down half off. Yeah. Second of all, when an online retailer was selling them at a ridiculously low price because they bought cases that day because there's no limit, Mm-hmm. Then they were free with an order on the now former Star Wars shop.com. Right. And not even that. That's like, again, the epitome of the situation. But even if we're just dealing with the Shadow Biker Scout or something, I kind of like how General Giant does it, if I can say. I like that if you want to be guaranteed or at least a good shot of getting an exclusive from the comfort of your own home, at least pay a club membership or something. And then if they don't sell out from the club membership and they don't sell out at the con, well, there's no reason they should have to destroy their own stock and burn away money. Sell it. I understand. If demand is low and you miscalculate. But I'm not opposed to exclusives. And I want to quote what GalacticHunter.com wrote on our wall. And I'm pretty sure this is Adam Paulus, not Adam May. Because I didn't see Adam May at Comic-Con. If you were there, Adam May, hey, give it a shout. But I'm pretty sure it was Adam Paulus. And he wrote, it's called collecting, not shopping. I really like that. I do, too. He continues, Someone told me that a long time ago, and it's been a mantra. Hasbro stated these were very limited, reinforced when they only limited the purchase to one per show. They would not have offered it online if the state of California didn't mandate them to. But why did the state of California mandate them to? Because General Giant didn't have to offer theirs online whenever they Well, did. they were online. They were for the Premier Guild. I'm trying to think if there's any other exclusives that... Well, I'm sure that there were. How, uh, Hallmark doesn't offer theirs online. No, they don't. I'm just, I'm reading what he okay. said there, but I don't see anybody. Yeah, there are several that weren't offered online. So I, I don't understand that necessarily. He goes, I empathize with everyone's frustration because I've experienced it myself most recently with the general giant vintage jumbo fet, but it's a hobby you're supposed to enjoy and not worth stressing out over. If you've been doing this long enough, you know it comes with the territory, whether it be Hasbro, General Giant, or Lego. Oh, by the way, I lined up for the San Diego Comic-Con Lego exclusive three times during the show and failed. Again, part of the game. That's what happens. It is. It. I like that line. It's collecting, not shopping. Because it put into words a concept that I've been trying to gather. Because I posted things about circling that idea that exclusives build excitement and exclusives add to the hobby. And the reason they do them, they wouldn't do them if it wasn't a good marketing ploy. The point of it is to have something a little harder to get, to make people foam at the mouth and want it more. And if you could just have every single item just by sitting down and entering your credit card number, then yeah, you might as well be buying a pound of salami. And I'm going to say one last thing on this. And I mean this from the heart. The set sucks. Really? It does. And I've been saying this since we saw it at Toy Fair. It's a bunch of repackaged figures with one retool, repaint, and all of the figures have been and will be available at retail with the exception of the two mini ones. Now, those two mini cards, they're kind of cool, but they're not $140 cool. I bought the set, and you're probably saying, well, why did you buy the set if it sucks? I bought it for one reason, and that's because these are the chase cards. I am taking them out of that box. But I've heard people go, oh, it's a giant Death Star. Oh, it's so cool. 
I will tell you from experience, first of all, having that nine pack from Target's end cap from last Christmas, these giant boxes that look so cool have problems finding homes in my collection. And second, this Death Star, it's angular. The two sides don't align quite right unless it's being set down. It's flimsy. It's held together by a lot of scotch tape. Yeah, the outside cardboard isn't the cardback cardboard. It's the, I can't even think to describe it. What I would equate it to is if you ever buy a shirt around Christmas time at a department store and you take it to their gift wrap shop and they have those flimsy little boxes that they yep, put the shirt that's exactly in. It. That is the level of quality of this cardboard. And then you go, but Arnie, the art. It's fuzzy, grainy, over-enlarged print from a screen capture of Return of the Jedi. The box is terrible. The figures are repacks that, if they were in the Legends line, I think a lot of us would have forgotten altogether. The two mini cards are good. And the fact that this was a way to get all the chase cards, which I do collect the chase cards ever since the Uggs, that's why I bought it. And it was a price that was reasonable for that many figures. I'd also like to point out that the Death Star was a theme of the Hasbro Star Wars team, and they had these shirts on that had a picture of the Death Star that said, Get Revenge. Yeah, I don't think that was the right shirt for Hasbro to wear the night that I was in line. <laughs> and I, then it, things went from bad to worse, though, because then it was posted erroneously online that the Death Star had gone to a raffle system. Mm -hmm. And I gave up on that. Well, I ran into Daryl at the Hasbro booth, and he was like, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm pretty good. How are you? And, you know, I was not going to bring this up at all. But finally, we talked for a few minutes, and I'm like, so what's up with a raffle? You guys have never done a raffle. He's like, there's no raffle. There is no raffle. So I went to our social media to tell everyone that the raffle thing wasn't true, because I'd just given up. Justin had from our host who will be on the show later wanted me to get him a ticket for the from the pavilion so he could get in line and I'm like why bother it's a raffle but that was not correct information and so it was a mess but it's not worth stressing over these figures will be available at retail again this fall and the box I don't like this box because of the type of collector I am I'm going to keep the box and put it away in another box in storage. But those figures are coming out of my Death Star, going into star cases and going with the rest of my figures. And I think it's a great way to get the set of figures, but that's the only reason I want it. But people who've said without seeing it that that Death Star is awesome, I'm sorry. My review of it, having it in hand, is the box is cheap. The box is chintzy. It's not a good display piece. They could have done so much with it, but obviously they had to keep a budget to keep it at a good price. But let's talk about happier topics. Let's go from what was the most single frustrating experience of the convention to the best experience of the convention in my mind. Yeah, previous years we had always gone to the Star Wars fan club breakfast and we really missed it when they stopped doing it. It had gotten high priced and it just didn't get the same value it had gotten in years past. So we decided this year, since we missed the friendship and the fun, we were going to have a Star Wars fan breakfast because there's no club anymore. So we made arrangements with the restaurant right next to the convention center, put the word out, and we had about 40, 50 people. We had over 50 RSVP, a few no-shows at the very last minute, which I kind of expected. Yeah. You know, things come up, people got sick, and... I couldn't believe the turnout. And we did this last year, but it was really small. It was just like... Well, we didn't put the word out yeah, yet. Yeah. It was a word of mouth kind of thing just because we wanted some place to go and visit with friends. Because that's the fun part is you get to eat breakfast with people. You get to see people that 
that might be the only time you see them at Comic-Con because it's a ginormous place. And you get to meet new people and hang out with people. And, you know, it's really cool when you're standing in a line and you see someone up ahead. You're like, oh, my gosh, I saw you earlier at breakfast. And then you talk and you have a friend. Let me tell you, this happened from our breakfast. For uh, The breakfast was so much fun. Thank you to Hallmark and to oh, Uncle Milton. Yes. They donated prizes to us. We didn't us, even ask. And we just thank you so much for it. And thanks to Steve Sansweet, he'd said he was going to come when he was on our show. And, you know, I honestly thought we were being Hollywooded. You know, we'll do lunch. Well, in his case, we'll do breakfast. No, he was there. He and his friend Chris were there as assistant. And they came. And Gus and Duncan and their respective wives, Pam and Anne. Yeah, they came out, and we had such a great turnout, and it was a happy accident. We'd initially asked for a couple large tables, but when the group grew, the hotel, or the restaurant said, we have to do rounds of six. And at first, I was like, well, that, you know, we'll have to go table to table to mingle, but that's how the fan club breakfasted. It was rounds of eight, and you were forced to talk to the people mm-hmm. at your table and get to know them. Well, we had name badges, which is a little corny, I understand, but... It helps. I have trouble remembering names. Yes. It helped me that whole morning. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was at the Star Wars books panel later that day, I was sitting with one of the guys from the breakfast who I'd met there, and we hung out for most of the day. Very cool guy. And just as I was about to leave, somebody else came over and said, you were at the breakfast this morning. And they just started chatting, and then they hung out together during the panel. I and mean, that's what it's all about, being a fan. Yeah, and it was so cool. And in addition to having Steve and Gus and Duncan and their wives there, I got to meet Justin for the first time. He showed up to Comic-Con. and Which is very surreal. It's always weird when I meet staffers or people who interact with us on our show because it's just you hear their voices and then they're sitting next to you and it's just really strange and it's this whole surreal moment. I had this problem with Ginger Prince last year at Celebration because I sit next to him in Rockstar's van, which is the party bus, but Steve's talking and Steve has a very baritone voice. And it was very weird to see the body from which it was emanating because of only seeing pictures. And I didn't have that problem with Justin, but I think that's because he and I Skype a lot for Marvelicious, and so we do video. But with, yeah, with Ginger Prince, it was definitely that. Also very cool, I got to meet Reverend Strone after six years, Daniel from Weta, and he brought this cool, cool Weta book. That he wrote. Yeah, about all their collectibles and their props, and oh, I've just had a chance to thumb through it at this point, but I'm really looking forward to it. He was selling it at the booth, and he brought a copy to give away to the breakfast, and... If you go over to Republic Forces Radio Network and listen to Barron's Comic-Con coverage, he has one autographed by several of the WETA staff members that they're giving away over on Republic Forces Radio Network. You can find that at republicforces.com. Just so much cool stuff to be able to meet these people who've been in the forums. Bad Flip KC, who I've talked to on the forum several times, showed up. Had no need to bring guests, but he brought us a hot and carbonite that he'd drawn himself that was just really awesome. Thank you so much for that. Amy, thank you. She was making crocheted buttons of little Star Wars characters that she was handing out. They're and very cute. I got a Leia, and it's great because it's like Atari 2600 art. It was I know. so cool it's because awesome. it was crafty and yet retro and very cool stuff. And, man, that was just a fun time, and we got so many prizes from Hallmark. I think, like, almost everybody walked out of there with a yeah. prize. Even Duncan, he won the little sound makers from Hallmark, and when he won, I'm like, all right, I got to ask, do you have these already? And he's like, no, but I didn't get those yet. <laughs> so a great time. We are definitely doing this again in future years. Yes. It was personally requested by Steve Sansquita. And when the godfather of Star Wars collecting asks, 
You listen. Yes, it's wise not to refuse. It was great. Everyone got a cool name badge, and then we get exclusive buttons that you only can get by going to the breakfast. And Barrett made some Star Wars Action News lanyards that he was giving out to everyone who came to the breakfast, and everyone at the breakfast got our con badge that Chris designed so wonderfully, and thank you to everybody involved, and thank you to everybody who came, and it was just a fun time, and... I'm just hanging out with Star Wars fans is the high point. All of my top moments from this Comic Con are the people. That's always the top moments though. Yeah. I got to hang out with Reverend Strone, which is very cool. Yeah, and a different night we just ended up going out to dinner on Saturday, just kind of unwinding and winding down and getting to hang out and talk Star Wars with Justin and Daniel and Perry. Mm-hmm. Just a fun night and just talk about all kinds of things. We had a topics. nice little wife side of the table and then the boys side of the table and Justin's wife, Chevy, and Perry's girlfriend, Shelly. We all discussed our pasts and how it led us down the path to the Star Wars collectors that we're involved with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, the people really make the con and if I could do it over again, I would do, start breakfast an hour earlier so we could all get to the con a little bit quicker because breakfast, I kept the waiters moving. I'm like, all right, take the orders, take the orders, giving away prizes, get the checks, get the checks so everybody could make it over to their panels. But great time. Another great thing from the con, before it aired on television, there was a showing of Lego Star Wars, the Padawan Menace in a movie theater down there and Lego was hosting it and we got to see that. And I'm kind of really glad because I forgot to video it. But it was really good. It was so much better than I'd expected. I really had no idea what to expect. I kind of thought it might be more like Lego Star Wars where they just kind of go... But they had... (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. But they had Tom Kane as the voice of Yoda and all these different voices. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But, man, that put a big old grin on my face the entire time it was playing. And I did not see the end twist coming. You did. I did see it because I'm smart like that. But it's pretty good if you haven't seen it. I'm sure they're going to – well, they're going to release it on Blu-ray. They are. They're releasing it on DVD and Blu-ray with some bonus features. I did ask if the previous Lego Star Wars movie they did because they did a short a few years back that I have burned on a DVD around here somewhere because I recorded it on her TiVo. But I was hoping that would be a bonus feature, and they said they aren't sure what the bonus features will be yet, but there will be some bonus features on there. And they said that they may be doing more of these in the future, so I – Kind of look forward to it. It's a fun little silly bit of gimmickry that as long as George Lucas doesn't say, oh, now it's canon, then I'm really happy with it. It can't be canon. (laughs) There's no way it could be canon. Planet Stew John, that's all I have to say. (laughs) Well, let's move on to what we saw on the floor. And the number one stop, of course, was Hasbro. I got to say, I went to the Hasbro booth this year and... I think this is our sixth time at Comic-Con, and as far back as my mind goes, it has always been laid out the exact same. And this year, it was different. And I I don't like things that are different. I know you don't. (laughs) There was so little Star Wars on display there that I honestly walked around the entire booth twice going, where's the rest? And so much of what they had on display was stuff that either just came out or has been out for quite some time. The past few waves of vintage... The past few waves of Clone Wars. And every year they have a super duper giant diorama. Hmm, Not this year. Oh, they had a super duper giant diorama 
but it wasn't for Star Wars. It was for Marvel. Yeah. And last year they did one for each. I was really shocked because they usually spotlight that year's vehicle in the diorama, the yeah. TurboTag, the ATTE. Well, there's this Republic landing shuttle. And it's like, that seems perfect. It's a landing shuttle that comes down in a war. What better thing could you build around than this? Mm -hmm. But they didn't do a diorama this year. They had two small cases, and there were a handful of cool, cool items on display. But it was just so much less than last year in volume that I couldn't help but be a little bit underwhelmed. But I do want to talk about the highlights of what I saw there, because there were some really, really cool things and some really different things. First of all, I got to see in person something that I had actually asked Daryl for the week that the Clone Wars movie came out, and that's the Republic Mobile Cannon, the giant artillery from the Clone Wars movie. When I saw the original theatrical Clone Wars movie, I'm like, I want that cannon. And now it was finally there on display. It's a good size. It's a good scale. It's a nice piece. I really like it. And most of the things I saw that I liked were vehicles. The second coolest one, the Mandalorian Assault Transport. Just a really great, very Star Warsy design there. You know, it almost kind of looks like General Grievous from the side. You know, he's got the two big things coming off of his head, like big metal ears. So it was very cool to see that. And this year's gift pack over at Toys R Us, the X-Wing and the Darth Vader's TIE Fighter Trench Run set. A really cool set, and there's a lot of new tooling and such on this X-Wing. It's a more detailed X-Wing, so if you like an X-Wing, this is, from the Hasbro presentation, going to be one of the best ones out there, so definitely worth picking up. On the smaller scale of some cheaper items, the perhaps best land speeder they've ever released coming out for only $17 in a wonderful vintage box. And then my favorite item... The Tauntaun, the single best Tauntaun ever. The detailing on this thing is astounding. And during the presentation, Hasbro teased a Luke may be coming that fits on him pretty well. And we were banding about in the forums, how much will the Tauntaun cost? You know, the Dewback was really expensive. Still is at my Walmart. They still have tons of them for $35. The Tauntaun, $16.99. That's a great price, too. At that price, I can buy three. Kidding. As for the Hasbro presentation itself... It kind of confirmed a lot of things we already knew that some figures are being delayed into next year. And it pretty much confirmed to me what I suspected, that they are really treading water until Phantom Menace 3D comes. Yeah, but the good news is that we're going to get some Phantom Menace toys. Not a bunch of Jar Jar stuff, but sadly. Well, we broadcast the whole panel live at SWActionNews.com. But if you didn't see it, while at the con, we were able to record with Justin some thoughts on the Hasbro reveals and the Hasbro booth. And we're sitting here in the outdoors area with Justin. Wanted to get your thoughts on the Hasbro and other Star Wars product reveals. There, w there was a Hasbro reveal? Did I miss something? Well, there's the Phantom Menace stuff. True, true. Overall, it's Star Wars stuff. It's well done. It's cool, but in the way of news, a little light. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that it was very light. I think it's kind of screwy that they're holding back for 
New York Comic Con? I mean, what's this going to be? Where, like, next is Dragon Con, and then they're going to add that to the rotation, and then they're going to put in every Wizard World thing, so there will be a one figure per con. Yeah, half a wave. So we're going to have to travel for a living. It seems like we got a confirmation that Wave 8 is delayed, so we're not expected to look for that until the new year. So Wave seven's it for this year. And... Wedge is coming back, though, and he's going to be on the same card. So anyone who paid eBay prices... Sorry. Yeah, very sorry. But we told you to wait. Yeah. And I did pay $20 at Brian's Toys, but I got one mint on card unpunched. So I I would still pay $20 for it. <laughs> exactly. Not 50 100 so on. They did show the next few sets of... Uh the three packs, the vintage three packs that are supposed to be hitting now. Yep, and I just got reports today that they are out at Target, so... Oh, nice. But the news that they want to do 18 of them leaves me underwhelmed. I mean, they're breaking out Power of the Force 2 sculpts here. So, they want to bilk us 18 times. Great! Well, that yeah, that goes back to the original 18 that were made back in the day, I guess. And I don't know that, for me... I think the nostalgia is kind of neat on a one or two basis, but I don't know that I need to be a completist on getting all these repacks on this many different cards. The Tauntaun looked cool. Did you see that in the booth? I did. And the Landspeeder looked very cool. And the Tauntaun is at a great price. I mean, people on the forums were thinking 35 or so, 15 bucks for that Tauntaun. Buy two. Yeah. It is pretty cool. We don't have enough Tauntauns. And it's a great looking new Tauntaun, you know. With the, like I said before, the articulated ankles, which is needed, so he's not just either leg up or leg down. You can actually do a few different poses. But he won't tip over as easily. That's yeah. the problem with those beasts like that, <laughs> is they topple over, and they're impossible once you put something on them to keep them upright. Now, is this the first time in years and years that we're getting the land speeder in accurate colors? It is. I mean, there was the Toys R Us exclusive that was a good six or seven years ago now. And that's the last time we got a land speeder at all, and it was badly colored. Bad, bad color. Yeah. And before that, prior to that, you know, it was the Power of the Force one, the Power of the Jedi even. No, Power of the Force one where it was, you know, reverse colors for some reason, tan with, with maroon highlights. But this one looks looks pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm pretty they excited. Did it right. They did it right. I'm honestly really looking forward to 2012. I've said this on the show many times, and I think the presentation confirmed it is that they're treading water for the theatrical re-release. They're doing some stuff for the Blu-ray, but, I mean, they couldn't even get the cutscene figures out this year, so they're not doing that much for the Blu-ray. They're doing some repacks in nice boxes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but 2012 looks to be Star Wars back where I want to see it on the A-list, getting the figures. You know, long before other people were... <laughs> clamoring for Ben Quadraneros. I was the one, when Ben Quadraneros kept coming up on those fans' choice votes that they were doing, I was the one who kept voting Ben Quadraneros back then. So I'm really happy to be getting a Ben Quadraneros. Well, yeah, anything that's a brand new sculpt and something unique like that is a good figure to get out there. Bringing out the Pod Racers box set, very cool. So I'm, and we haven't really, Phantom Menace is kind of like the special little brother that's kept in the asylum, right? He, the, it's the Rain Man of the Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it's the one that when Tom Cruise grows up, there's a sixth Star Wars movie? Why do I have no figures of this? I have a little memory of it from when I was a child. Hot water burn pod racer. But it, it's nice to see that they're finally giving it some love. But how could they still not come out? with, they've gone up the ventilation shaft. I'm blanking on her name. Because they got in a lot of trouble for that one. 
No, I, that's the one. I mean, they're coming out with another Dolce Dauphine, but they're not bringing us. It's not Ton Wee. I'm blanking on her name. This I, is. I don't know any Nemoidian names. But I'm glad to be seeing us getting some new figures out there for Phantom Menace, some better sculpts. It's been a decade. Good time to improve on the sculpts that we got there. I mean, they just haven't given us figures. I want to see a Jar Jar with, like, a, a super articulated ears. Right. Uh, yeah. Why was there no Jar Jar? Because we're afraid to make Jar Jar. I mean, I'm sure we'll see him because he's, you know, based on the Gungan we got last year, he's due for an upgrade. Yeah, he is. But like you said, they're, you know, I think the attitude is is that, okay, we have to get everybody excited for Phantom Menace, and once we get past that, then we're really going to cook, because then we got to tag the clones, and we're moving. Well, and they've openly said that if this movie release does not do well, we may not see the others. I know. So every licensee has to pull out all stops to get people crazy and get out the see the movies. Yeah. I, I think this release was light. I think we honestly have more to look forward to in October. But then again, we walked out of Toy Fair saying Toy Fair is light. We have a lot more to look forward to at Comic-Con. And I couldn't believe how small their display was. I mean, six years of Comic-Con, I've never seen so little Star Wars in the Hasbro booth. That is true. It is very, very small. It's because they're splitting it with Clone Wars. You know, there's... there's... But even counting that. And there's some new cool figures coming out in the Clone Wars, but they didn't have a lot of announcements for it. Maybe it's because there's some Season 4 stuff under embargo. They can't mention the characters coming. I mean, we're getting Chewbacca, which is cool, and Akbar coming up. But... That, that's kind of telling. That was part of the presentation, is that they they were so wrought for things to say that they, they even mentioned that Chewbacca's bandolier is removable. So in case you were wondering. <laughs> I mean, there's some cool figures coming up, but the overall, the displays were much smaller. There was no big diorama built around this Republic landing shuttle the way they'd done for the big vehicles in years past. So it really just kind of seemed like a lackluster year for Comic-Con for Star Wars. For new but, stuff, right. Thanks for joining us, Justin. And you can hear Justin Marger and I cover all the Marvel news from San Diego Comic-Con over at MarveliciousToys.com. And moving on to some higher-end items. <laughs> Let's talk about Kotobukiya. They were on display there with a number of really nice, fine artifact statues that really have to be seen to be believed. Hopefully our photos on the Enhanced Podcast and on the website can do it justice. But we got to talk to Dan, and he walked us through the booth and talked about each of the new items they had on display. And we are here with Dan Lujan of Kotobukiya taking a look at their Star Wars Artifacts line stuff. They've got some great new items on display here. Why don't you tell us about some of the new ones? Okay, why don't we start with our Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is going to be an artifact statue. Uh, he will come with a removable hood, so you can actually display him with the hood on or off. And it will have a light-up uh, lightsaber feature with that piece. Um, that's slated for a March 2012 release date. The Obi-Wan, I'm looking at the texture on that robe. That is just absolutely amazing. Is that a final production version you're showing? Uh, no, no. This is a prototype, but it, the final production piece should come very close to what you see here. That was one of the main things when doing the Obi-Wan. It went through various revisions, and one of the points that we wanted to stress is Obi-Wan, you know, lived in the desert. He was a hermit, and his clothes did get weathered and torn and, and tattered. So that was something that was uh, definitely stressed when I saw uh, some pre, uh, uh, pre-sculpts of the piece. I, 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 I 
made the suggestions to our sculptors in Japan, hey, why don't we tatter it up a little more? And I think they did a wonderful job with that. Yeah, it looks just like cloth there. And the face sculpt, you know, human face sculpts are always such a tricky thing. And I think you really captured Alec Guinness with that yeah, one. We're really impressed with this face sculpt, the paint job on it and everything. I, I just think it's really a turning point for our Art FX line. It's honestly, I've always loved the Art FX line, especially the aliens. I've been picking them up ever since Celebration 3, I think, and just really enjoying them. But I do think you're right. I think this has taken the humans to another level yeah. because some of the other ones, the Slave Leia, the Best Bin Luke, you know, I, honestly not the strongest pieces of the line. And this is a human that stands up there with like your Bounty Hunter set and your Darth Vader and your Boba Fett. Yeah, definitely. And opens opens the doors for all, actually other, uh, maybe revisiting other characters from the line. And, you know, just uh, bringing that sculpt to the next level just awesome. I always tell our listeners they've got to check these out and see them in person because they hear that it's vinyl and they sometimes think oh, you know, not so cool. But it, you're looking at this. This is honestly, I say, with the dynamic pose I love the hand gestures and everything. Possibly the best Obi-Wan statue I've seen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so then next up we have a Yoda piece here and this is going to be an Art FX uh, light up feature with the generator and the lamp that's actually uh, levitating on a rock. Uh, Yoda will come with two different heads sculpts, one with his eyes open and one with his eyes closed. And um, the piece that you see here, the base is a little higher than what the final production piece is. We're going to actually trim that down a bit. Um, but just again, look at the texture of the rock and, and the vines from Dagobah, and it's just amazing. And that's also going to be second quarter 2012? Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if we have a firm date on that just yet, but uh, expect our Yoda to be released sometime in 2012. And again, just a thing I'm noticing about this. You know, I always like to see the final painted one to make final judgments, but I'm loving the sculpt of the rocks and the, yeah. the levitation effect you've pulled off there, the way you've found the perfect balance points to hide it. And from the angle I'm looking at, which is a little bit to the left of the item, it really looks like that top rock is completely floating. It's got like a 3D movie effect going where it really seems out from the branch behind it. It's definitely one of those pieces that I'm turning it around right now. I mean, from any angle, there's just such a dynamic uh, you know, energy to it. Um, we've even got rocks floating back here on the on the back, along with some vines and what have you. Very, very cool. And I always do like your light-up pieces, the way the Obi-Wan has the light-up saber. That's something that you've added, you know, in the past couple years with the uh, artifacts Darth Maul that yeah. really just helps make these pieces an uh, eye-grabber part of your collection. It's almost becoming a standard now because with our Darth Vader that's going to be coming out in October, not only does the lightsaber light up, but his belt does and the chest panel. Plus, he has a light-up feature with the head. Uh, um, and it's kind of just taking from the scene when the Emperor was electrocuting Vader. Um, it's a time sequence, so it'll blink on and off for a period of time. And so he comes with two different heads. So if you don't want that uh, um, to see kind of the skull behind the helmet, you can just have it the regular uh, helmet, too. That's really cool. I like how it's got like the hint of the skull behind it, like it has in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, there's a very slight hint of his skull in there. And uh, it took a while for our engineers to figure out how to get it just right, but I think they did a great job. 
And what about the Artifacts Plus line, the kind of shorter line of Artifacts statues? Uh, I see AFX has a San Diego Comic-Con Stormtrooper Commander exclusive. Yes, they do. Uh, those are the Stormtrooper Commanders from the Forced Unleashed storyline. I believe those are limited to 500 pieces, and those are available exclusively at the AFX booth. Which I found out the hard way when I came to the Kotobukiya booth, stood in line, and then realized, oops, wrong place. <laughs> yeah. And then you have on display here your Commander Cody in a variety of poses, and that's one kit that you can just pose in different ways, right? Yes, he comes with multiple parts, so you, you can actually change the angle of his neck, plus the uh, positioning of his weapon. He can be holding a droid hit, or he can be actually holding a hologram of Darth Sidious as he's ordering... Um, Order 66. And is that a just a different Utapau clone behind him, or is it an interchangeable head there? Uh, uh, this clone right here? Yeah. Uh, that's one of our previous Comic-Con exclusives, I think from 2008, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we just put them in uh, the display to show that you can actually um, just set them with the Cody, you know, and create a scene if you'd like. We do have those available for our booth right now. And then let's talk about some of your housewares items that you've got in the Star Wars line. I see you have a great display of the ice cube trays again. Those, I know, are a big hit. Yeah, we're really pushing the ice cube trays this year. And we're actually going to be coming out with a second series. It'll be the Empire and Starship. So we'll have, uh, I believe, an X-Wing fighter and the Millennium Falcon. And then for the Empire, we'll have a Stormtrooper head and Darth Vader. Yeah, and you jumped to my question. I was going to ask if a Darth Vader head was coming. There you go. A Darth Vader head is coming, yes. And the response has been tremendous. The fans come and they see the display. We have an actual uh, hand Solo in carbonite, but he's frosted over in ice. And then we have some uh, plastic pieces on display to kind of show what you can do with the trays. They're heat resistant, so you can actually, you know, put them in the freezer or put them in the oven. Probably a lot of work, but let me throw out an idea for an exclusive at some point. Okay. Have you ever seen the Jar Jar and Carbonite that was yes. going around? Yes, that would be a perfect, like, exclusive item for the housewares thing. I think that would be, people would buy that up. That, that sounds pretty cool. I might, I, I might make that suggestion to our planning department. Okay, I just want to throw that out there because Carbonite and ice, I mean, you just yeah. can't get any better. You can't. You can't. All right, Dan, well, thank you very much for your time, and we uh, look forward to getting these items when they're available. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, for joining us. Now, at the Star Wars Collectibles, which was more high-end presentation that was also, we streamed at SWActionNews.com, Kodo put on a presentation, Dan did, and there was some news there that he wasn't able to share with us during the interview. First of all, the Artifacts Plus, the less expensive, smaller Artifacts statues that are just as detailed at a better price point, are going to start being limited, whereas Kodo pretty much, with the exception of their exclusives, has always been unlimited which is why they could go back to the well and make more of those Boba Fets when they got crazy expensive. And they're going to be limited to 1,500 pieces, and when they're gone, they are gone. Wow, that's going to put a lot of pressure. They're going to do a couple of two-packs for Shock Troopers and 501st Troopers, and then just do Commander Thyre. So if you've ever kind of been on the fence about those, time to go is now. But the biggest piece of news for me, because I don't know what I think of it yet, is that Kotobukiya is going to be expanding their Star Wars license with what they call the Bishojo statues. Now they right now are doing them for Marvel and DC, and it's a certain style of sculpting and animation, for lack of a better word, I guess. Bishojo means pretty girl in Japanese. Oh, is that what it means? Yeah. Oh. And it's a heavily anime-influenced 
and very sexy type of style. I mean, if you've listened to Marvelicious Toys, you know that they're not afraid to take some Marvel characters and put them in a thong. No. And But they do it in such a way that you don't feel like, oh, they went too far with that. I mean, it's a very artistic piece, and they do a very good job on the colors and the bases and the designs. Fantastic. It is. It it's is. not like a butt just for butt's sake. Well, it kind of is. Yeah, but you don't get that feeling looking at it. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, if you didn't want butt out, you could cover the butt. You wouldn't take away from the beauty of the piece by covering the butt. But these are very TNA-style statues. I mean, they're gorgeous pieces, but calling a spade a spade, there's a lot of TNA going on. Here's where I become a little bit conflicted is... I'm cool with that for comics because comics themselves kind of became TNA in the 90s, you know? I mean, every single woman in the Marvel Universe got implants around 92, and it looks the same way for DC. But yet, when General Giant did that maquette Leia, and especially in the life-size, I wasn't down with it. And I don't know how I'd feel about Bishojo Slave Leia. We'd have to see how they do the Star Wars license first. I think that's the big thing. Because with the Marvel ones, until you saw them and saw how neat they were. I mean, I even think they're neat, which I'll be the first one to say, what are you doing to my Leia? But, I mean, they've done a great job with some of these Marvel characters and made them really cool. And the neat thing is the colors are just so vibrant. And that's what draws you to the statue. It is. I'm curious to see what they can do with the Star Wars license. They did not have any drawings or displays. They just had a face for their first piece. And their first piece is such an odd choice because you think of Star Wars women. Who comes to mind first? Leia. Second? Padme. Third? Well, I'm going to have to go with Mon Mothma now. <laughs> See? And, I mean... But I guess it, here's what I bet they do. is they, they're, they're starting off with Jaina Solo. Yeah, that's odd. They're going to do your Mara Jade. Yep, they have to do Mara. Darth Talon would be an amazing one. That's true. Darth Talon's already TNA. So yeah. you could do her and not really worry too much how about that juno girl juno eclipse maybe yeah she's kind of really minor i mean she's from the video game and they're not making any more of the video game okay but my point is there's not very many women in the star wars universe they could so, even sexy up asajj asajj would be a very cool one i mean mystique isn't necessarily pretty in the marvel universe but they made her so for the bishojo so this is one to watch i don't know how i'm gonna end up feeling because i guess because Star Wars is so closely associated with my childhood, I don't like to see it sullied. I don't necessarily like all the TNA appeal. This year, Gentle Giant hired Slave Leia booth babes for their booth, and you couldn't even get to see the bus because the busts were in the way. See what I did there? Yeah, ha, ha, ha. Well, I'd like to also point out, I was standing at the Gentle Giant booth taking pictures for Marvelicious of the Marvel bus, and there was a Slave Leia there who was loudly complaining to some other guy in some very strange costume, which I couldn't figure out what it was, how it was a really bad year because a lot of people weren't asking to take her picture and no one's paying attention to her. I really think that video that came out, which is highly funny, about don't dress like a slave Leia, really, I mean, that was the moment where the shark was being jumped for the slave Leia costume. The shark has been jumped years, years and years ago. When you're getting ones with really bad outfits, I mean, there's some really bad slave Leia outfits out there, and there's some really great ones, but she was very upset that people were not paying attention to her. Well, all the ones in the General Giant booth, A, were hired booth babes, and B, were very well costumed. No, they weren't. 
I There's thought some really were. bad costumes. I didn't there. see, well, I didn't see any bad ones, but to get back to the original point, I'm just very protective of my Star Wars and its innocence and purity. I n- never sexualized Leia in the bikini because I was too young when I saw Return of the Jedi to do that. I didn't think it was sexy either. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, granted, it, I did used to kiss the picture, Viery Sun picture, Luke all the time, but that's different. I was five or something. Yeah, and I'm just protective of my Star Wars and especially of the characters. What's funny is it's Jaina Solo. Do whatever you want with Jaina Solo. <laughs> <laughs> but if they hit Leia, specifically Leia, I, I'd be wondering how I feel. And I don't know. I suppose I'd... Be equally as protective of Aunt Beru. Oh, God. I hope they're really not going to make an Aunt Beru. That would be weird, wouldn't it? They're not going to make Aunt Beru. Let's pray. Now, just down the aisle from Kotobukiya was Uncle Milton. And we talked to them back at Toy Fair. And they were talking about some new items that they were working on for release later in the year. Those items are now available for purchase this Christmas. And here to join us at from the con is Hillary Fine with Uncle Milton talking about these new items. And we're here with Hillary Fine of Uncle Milton. Welcome back to the show again. Thank you for having me. And you've got some cool new Star Wars science products on display here at Comic-Con. We do. We have some great new products that have just come out for fall 2011. Uh, we have our Boba Fett Launch Lab, which is a stomp rocket. You stomp on it, and Boba Fett takes off of his sand skiff. And you can launch him three different ways, with his rocket pack on, without his rocket pack, or you can launch the rocket pack by itself. It's a lot of fun for the outdoors. Very cool. Probably not for the indoors, especially with ceiling fans. No, not really for the indoors. How high does it go? It goes up to 50 feet, so pretty high. Cool. And then what's this R2-D2 you've got here? This is our R2-D2 micro viewer. You can use him as just a desktop accessory, but the cool thing about him is you slide open his front, let the natural light in so there's no batteries required, look at the top through the top of his head, and you'll see microscopic images of different things from the world of Star Wars, like Dagobah swamp slime, lightsaber crystals, clone trooper DNA. There's two image discs, each with six images on them, and you can interchange them. And then there's also a built-in magnifier that you can take outside to look at things in the real world, like leaves, bugs, everything like that. And what are the MSRPs on these items? Uh, R2-D2 and Boba Fett are $19.99. And then you've got some more of the lightsaber room lamps, which are always popular, I know, among both kids and collectors who like to use them to accent their collections. Yes, we have three new lightsaber room lights. Uh, Previously, we had one that rotated through eight different colors. These are specifically character-based, so we have Luke Skywalker, who's green, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's blue, and Darth Vader, who's red. And we're finding that Darth Vader is probably the most popular one that we've had here at Comic-Con. Next, you need to do, like, a blacklight one. Well, coming up for spring 2012, we're going to do some fun, exciting things with the room lights, especially for the new 3D movies. Very cool, very cool. Now, what about some of the classic favorites, like the Force Trainer, of course, got all the buzz, and then the Mustafar Lava Volcano, are those going to still be available as well? Yes, they're available this year. Uh, All here at Comic-Con as well, we're showing them, and people are still trying the Force Trainer and loving it. Yeah, you're not doing the big demo here that you normally do. Not this year. We did it for the first year where we gave it its big debut. 
Now, there was one that was like a Target exclusive force trainer, wasn't there? There was a um, light-up version that you could play in the dark. Or any chance of that getting a re-release sometime in the future? Possible, but not at this time. All right. Well, Hillary, thank you again for coming on the show, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again at Toy Fair. Thanks for having me. I'll see you then. Thank you, Hillary. I still think that that room light is a wonderful alternative to add splashes of decor when you can have so many of them so much cheaper than the FX Sabres. Well, and they're not going to be a pain in the butt to install on the walls. It's be very easy. They're meant to be installed, whereas yeah. the FX lightsabers from Hasbro, you can buy wall mounts for them, but that's not their first and primary purpose. Here, you get the remote control to light it up, and at a really great price point, so now that there's multiples, a great item for kids' rooms, a great item for collections to add some light. I think the fact that you're adding red light, blue light, and green light also can really add some dynamic coloring to your figure dioramas. Over at Sideshow, they had quite a bit of stuff on display. Sideshow is going to hurt me in the wallet. It really is. Well, let's start at the biggest item and work our way down in size. And the biggest item is the Han and Carbonite. They had it on display, but I don't know if it was a final version. And everyone knows I love Han and Carbonite. And everyone knows that I have the life-sized one. And so the question I was asked a lot at the con is, are you getting this one? I inspected it very closely, took a lot of pictures, and I can definitively say that the Sideshow Han and Carbonite is so much better made than the Icons Han and Carbonite, it's not even funny. I have always loved my Icons Han and Carbonite because it is big and it's Han and Carbonite, but the day I got it, brand new, I opened it up and I went, did I get ripped off? (laughs) Is this a bootleg? The side panels, which very rarely are seen on the Icons one, are just painted the same color as the rest. There's no lights. There's not even orange paint to represent a button that would light up. The manufacturing isn't all that great. The back of the Han and Carbonite by Icons, admittedly, I couldn't see the back of the one on Sideshow, but the back of the Icons one isn't much thicker than a bookcase you'd assemble from Ikea. And the sides, the corners, are wavy just because of a inexact manufacturing process. So when I went and looked at Sideshows, I looked at it with the eye of somebody who knows every inch of my Icons one from dusting him repeatedly. And the Sideshow one has sharp corners, great lines. I don't know if he lights up or not, but there's translucent plastic for the buttons on the panels. And I can't see wood screws. On the Icons one, I can see wood screws. Now, I thought I had a bootleg for perhaps five years until we went to Gen Con one year around Attack of the Clones where they were giving away an Icons Han and Carbonite as a prize. Even though I had a COA. You know what COAs are worth. They can be faked. And so I inspected the prize they had on display at Gen Con, and it was exactly like mine. The wavy lines, the wood screws, the bad panels. So Sideshows is better. But the one they had on display... The Han in Carbonite and the pool of Carbonite around him was silver, which is what I'd expect. The border around that was gunmetal gray, a totally different thing. And I'm not talking a different batch of material. I'm talking a distinct difference, as if that was the frame and they poured the Carbonite into it. Now, I own quite a lot of Han and Carbonite items, and I've never seen the frame represented in a different color. I walked right over to Sideshow's booth to the premium format. Same color. So is this not finished, or is it prop accurate and every other Han and Carbonite made for the past 20, 30 years is wrong? I don't know. I think we're going to have to wait and maybe ask Sideshow at some point and talk to them. Then the next question becomes price, and Barrett, our podcast enhancer, asked Sideshow during the Q&A, 
How much? Because I want to know. Yes, you do. I want to know. They said they don't have a price because they're not done making it yet, and they're working on a display. They don't want it to be, and I think they were hinting, like my icons, that you just prop up against a wall. They want it to have some kind of hover effect or something. I don't know if they're going to try to do like they do with their 12-inch or their premium, where it has a back wall or the premium format that has a base or what they're going to do, but they are going to make it bigger and add a display arama around it. Now, the Sideshow Droids were six grand a piece, and they didn't come with environments. So I think this Han and Carbonite, especially given the years that have passed and the fact that collectibles have just gone up in manufacturing costs because the dollar gets weaker, and I think Han and Carbonite is going to be a minimum of $7,000. Ouch. I don't know what I'll do with that. I don't know if I will pull the trigger on that or if I'd play the longer game. We'll wait and see. Or if they offer 10 years of flex pay. (laughs) Moving down from life size to half size. Yeah, they debuted their... Half-size line of figures. They are legend. Wait for it. Dairy. Not really. <laughs> They're kind of creepy. That Obi-Wan, I would not want that in my house because I don't want him looking at me. It's like a little person. That is the problem is they've gotten to a point in scale where they look too human. Yes. And they look like little people. And you know what it looks like is the scene in Evil Dead 3 or is it two where he's got all the little ashes around That's him? That's three, yeah. Army of Darkness. Yeah. Well, even those were only like six inch or 12 inch. These things, and they specifically look like little people, not children, because of the proportions and the heads. And they're pricey. You're looking at fifteen or $1,600. Now, I talked to Daniel Stroden, who's involved in prop replicas, and what he told me is prop replicas have gotten to the point where you can make really big items for around the same price that you can make smaller items. But because it's a really big item, you can charge the consumer a lot more money. Yes. And this is why we're seeing more of these big items like this. But I find these legend scale figures creepy for one, too expensive for two, and too big for three. I could see if there is a character you like and you want to accent a theater room and make a big display piece, maybe getting one because it's a lot less expensive than a $7,000 life-size piece. But... We talked about this on Marvelicious. It has too big of a base to really put on a table. You need a special type of podium to bring it to eye level. And otherwise, you just have this little Obi-Wan in the corner. And I know there are people like Steve and Duncan who will eventually get them all. But I think I'm going to pass on them 100%. I just don't like them. Yeah, I'm just not as big a fan of them. They're just they're creepy. And I hate to say that. They're starting with Darth Maul and A New Hope Obi-Wan. And... I'm thinking if you wanted to sell big out of the gate, you start with Vader and a Stormtrooper. Because if people are going to buy one, they're going to buy something really iconic. Yeah, you're not going to get those people in with Mon Mothma. No. Let's face it. Or even Admiral Akbar, to be honest. And while Darth Maul and A New Hope Obi-Wan are very iconic characters, I don't think they carry the collectible look. And because they're both humans... Or a Zabrak, which is a human in kabuki makeup. It just adds that creepy factor. So I'm not a fan of those. If I can cut scale in half one more time, though, (laughs) premium format figures are getting an upgrade. They talked about this in the panel. They're doing C-3PO and R2-D2. They're adding some articulation to the premium format figures. R2 is going to have a retractable third leg. I think this is a great upgrade because the premium formats are somewhat posable, but I've been so afraid I was going to break them when I put the Han Solo's hand in his belt. Yeah, that was really hard to maneuver. I was afraid I was going to break his arm. And I think that 
being able to display pieces in a couple different ways will really add to the value of these pieces. And then, of course, they had a lot of 12-inch items out there. They had the life-size bus with the new C-3PO out there. I talked to Larry about it, Jedi Larry B., who had ordered the A New Hope C-3PO. He made a very good point about this one. He's keeping his A New Hope one, A, because it has a restraining bolt, which is kind of a defining feature of C-3PO. And B, this one is so shiny that it's going to reflect light everywhere and possibly interfere with other displays you have in the same room. So Yeah, that's a problem. Those were a couple great points I hadn't thought of. And speaking of light, going to another company, Museum Replicas on the floor. Museum Replicas, we've talked about a lot in the past for making the authorized Star Wars costumes, the ones that are movie accurate, whether you want one of Padme's dresses or Luke's Yavin ceremony outfit. Well, they are expanding into the housewares range. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what you classify this under, but they're really cool, and I think we ought to get them. But they have some cool Star Wars lamps, and they're Rebel Imperial. And the, what makes them Star Warsy is the shade is like, it's almost like light bright, but it's like pinholes, and then it shines through in red and blue. It's very cool. It is. I looked at that, and I'm like, wow, I've been enjoying the Funko lamps, but these are actually elegant. Yeah, they're very classy. Yeah. Something you'd put in your living room at, in your 30s and when you don't want to look like you live in a college dorm. Yeah, the Funko's very kid room stuff, which is fun. It's in our game room. Yeah, but it's not elegant. This is an elegant Star Wars lamp. And I, it came so out of left field, I didn't even know quite how to react. The next thing that I need at least two of is an adult version of a lightsaber umbrella. Imagine an FX collectible stunt saber that's also a workable umbrella, and that's pretty much the quality that you're looking at with this. Yeah, they were pretty cool, too. I mean, they've made things like this before, but mostly in the kitty realm. To have one that's a nice, chrome, vac-metalized lightsaber, oh yeah. It looks like one an adult would carry. Yeah, very cool. I will be carrying it because we've been getting some monsoons in Illinois lately. Yes, we have. Now, something I'm kind of excited about at Think Geek, they showed some prototypes of some beverages coming, possibly, at the beginning of the year. I guess I'm not the only one who has ordered copious amounts of the dark roast coffee. That's some great coffee, though. And next time it's on sale, you should buy some more because I really miss it. I really do. It's very good and tasty. But they were showing off some teas that they had. And they had Yoda green tea, Hoth hot chocolate, and the dark roast coffee. Now, these are going to come in collectible tins, so you'll get a neat tin with the coffee instead. And they're not giant tins, they're little. But the coolest thing is, in addition to the tea, the Yoda green tea, they're making a Death Star tea leaf ball. So if you don't know how to make tea out of whole leaves, what it is is you put your hot water in, not boiling because you don't want to burn the tea. And then you put your tea leaves in the tea ball. And that's how you make your teas. You submerge that in the hot water. And that way you don't get tea leaves all over your tea. Very cool. I didn't know if the hot chocolate would be any good or the tea wouldn't be any good, but the coffee rocks. And continuing down the tchotchke aisle over at Diamond, in addition to some new Attackist statues that you can see some pictures of on our website, they had Bluetooth headsets, which look just like any other Bluetooth headset with some pretty generic Star Wars art on them. So if having a Bluetooth headset in your ear all the time wasn't quite enough to make you look a little dumb. 
Now you can have really colorful Star Wars art on it. I thought we moved away from the Bluetooth headsets now. You know, I think this would be great for kids, but I don't know too many kids who need Bluetooth. I guess that's where I'm coming down on that one. Going back to some higher-end collectibles, though, we talked about the Gentle Giant booth a little bit earlier. They have a lot of great new items on display. This year's Holiday Bust is one that has truly excited me more than any Holiday Bust since the Christmas Light Max Rebo has. And some great statues. And some of the members of Gentle Giant were on hand to talk to me about it. And here they are walking us through all of the new product they had on display. And we're here at the busiest preview night I have seen in six years at Comic-Con at Gentle Giant's booth. And we've got three people with us. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell your role with Gentle Giant. Hi, I'm Gregory Crafts, and I'm Customer Service and Marketing Coordinator for Gentle Giant. Hey, I'm Dev Gilmore, Vice President of Product Development and Design. Hi, I'm Ashley Powell, and I'm the Senior Manager of Product Development. Great. And why don't we start off by taking a look at your uh, Star Wars stuff here. What is it that you're revealing tonight at preview night that's going to be coming up? Well, I think one of our real exciting pieces over here is our mini bus. Uh, we're unveiling our holiday bus for this year, which is going to be Vader with the dove coming out of his left hand. Nice. Some might recognize this. as the uh, Lucas filmed a 2010 Christmas card with Vader holding a dove taking flight. So kind of peace on earth. Uh, since our collectors really love having the interchangeable holiday gift hand, we're doing uh, interchangeable hand with C-3PO. So you can change out the dub for C-3PO, uh, which is off the Dark Horse comic for Meet the Maker. So you have a deluxe mini bus. Uh, another real exciting mini bus is our Yoda 3D glasses. He's really cool. We're making him uh, exclusively for our Premier Guild members. Um, he's coming to come out in January 2012, uh, at the same time where we're at the releasing Phantom Menace in 3D. Why did you decide to go with the Yoda? I would think the Anakin with the pod racer goggles would have been a natural 3D option there. Well, you might have seen some of the promotional art that Lucas released, and it has Yoda wearing the 3D glasses holding the Obi-Wan popcorn. So it was my decision. <laughs> it looks very cool, though. He was really cute, and, you know, everyone loves Yoda, and it's kind of a little, he's really classic, and it makes sense. It's for our Premier Guild members only, so it's a smaller run, uh, but it's also to help with the release of the new 3D movies. We also have General Veers, not shown here, he's going to be a deluxe mini bust. So you're going to be able to remove his armor and do an inter interchangeable head. And it's going to be both the Veers heads? Both Veers heads, yes. So you can take that off and do as a regular Imperial officer and then uh, the interchangeable, all of this is badge. Yeah, his, his lapel rank, yeah. Another one we haven't shown yet is the Emperor Palpatine. He's a new one. He's an exclusive for one of our distributors. Can you say which one? I don't think it's been decided yet. It might be. I'm not sure. Uh, we're also debuting uh, Minoc and Bespin Han. So, as usual, to follow suit with for Diamond, we're uh, doing the Minoc Han version, and then we'll be releasing the Bespin Han uh, through General Giant directly. Very cool. The minibus always and have a huge following, I know. I, I would like to point out that we have a very green Kit Fisto minibus here. A very, very green Kit Fisto minibus. We listened to our collectors, and we actually went back, and we talked to our paint shop. We looked at the reference, and we brightened up the green on him a little bit, since everyone was saying he was looking a little pale or a little too light. So he's looking pretty good now. I think our collectors will be happy with him. And I see some new 
maquettes over here, the Bausch. Yes, we have the Leia Bausch. That's an Entertainment Earth exclusive, the animated version. Uh, so we're continuing on with our own animated designs. Uh, we have some really cool designs coming out for 2012. I can't mention them quite yet, but uh, some, look for some creatures coming out for the animated line. We also have Savage Opress and his armor there with his huge horns and his bulked out armor. We also have the Clone Wars R2-D2 uh, maquette, and we're also releasing a life-size R2-D2. I saw that yes. online. So that'll be really great. Our collectors can buy the small one and also have the life-size one to display with it. And of course, we're carrying on with our Kenner 12-inch line. Uh, the end of this year, we'll wrap up the original 12-back. Uh, we have Then we'll move into all of the cantina creatures like Greedo and Walrus Man. Now, I saw the Stormtroopers coming out in the 12-back A New Hope format. Is there any difference in the figure? No difference in the figure, just a re uh, different backer card. And then we also had the R2-D2, which he will be back-metalized. I think that was a big question for our collectors. That's just a paint master. And then, of course, the fabric cape Jawa. So one of our Comic-Con exclusives is the vinyl cape. So right, we'll right. Jawa. I remember you asking me about the vinyl cape last year. So. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was wondering if that would be an exclusive somewhere. And Well, I couldn't tell you anything then, but I guess the cat's out of the bag now. So there you go. They keep, they keep me on a very short leash with what I can and can't say. I give Ashley all kinds of headaches with uh, since I run the Twitter. <laughs> and I see you've got the ATRT here. I saw that here last year. Is there a release date set on that? He's going to come out this fall. He took some development time to get him done. We really rushed to get him and show him at the show last year. And uh, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, Dave Filoni was in our office, and uh, he saw this piece there. It's one of his favorites. So he was really excited about it. Is this the first time showing Pre Vizsla, or I think I've seen him online. You've seen him online, but this is the first time he's been shown at the show. Yep. Although we did show the hollow Pre Vizsla last year. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had the holographic right. version. Right, right. I just I knew I hadn't seen that paint job before. The wash on the cave's really nice. It's, it's I would remember that. Thank you. I did it myself. No, <laughs> I wish I could take that credit. Our entire paint shop wants to kill me now. That's a production piece from our manufacturer, so you can see that's really a high-level detail quality that everyone can expect from our product. So, well, thank you very much, guys, for your time. It's very appreciated. Our pleasure, man. Our pleasure. It's always uh, good to chill with you guys. Yeah. Thanks so much. Can't wait to tune in. Thanks again to the folks at Gentle Giant for that. Now, after that interview, they displayed some Knights of the Old Republic items that they hadn't shown before, and they had in their booth some computer equipment, but also a very, very cool Darth Malgus maquette. Having read the Paul S. Kemp book, Deceived, I'm a huge fan of Malgus. He's great in that opening trailer. This is a great maquette to get. And speaking of Knight of the Old Republic... In addition to the pre-order going on sale and the special edition, collector's edition, selling out in a blink, and in other video game news, because of Star Wars Connect coming out, they're coming out with a Star Wars Connect bundle for $4.49. You get the Connect and a special droid Xbox, where the Xbox looks like R2, and you get a vac-metalized C-3PO controller... And it's a 350-gigabyte system for $449. Pre-orders available now. Now, I asked you if you were going to get it. And what was your response there? I'm playing the long game. If I didn't have an Xbox, I would, of course, get this one. But a lot of these collectible sets go down in price a generation or two later. I remember I got the Podracer N64 for a song new in box because the N64 was replaced by the GameCube, which was replaced by the Wii. And 
brand new in box at racer set was mine. So I think I'm going to play the long game on this. It's not a limited edition item. I mean, they're not going to make it forever, but I mean, go into your game stops and take a look at all the Halo Xboxes sitting around and everything. I own an Xbox. I own a Kinect. I'm on my second or no, my third retail Xbox. It may happen that I'll Red Ring of Death again, in which case I will go out and buy this one. But assuming, knock on wood, my Xbox continues to work properly, I'll play the long game. Continuing our look at high-end collectibles, FX Collectibles was there, and they had a number of items on display. First of all, if you were one of the lucky few who ordered the Legend Vader helmet, you are now getting a signature plaque from Vader helmet sculptor Brian Muir. So it just became a signature edition at no extra cost because you already pre-ordered and it pre-sold out. And because of the success of the Legend Vader helmet, they are continuing the Legend series with a Legend Hero Stormtrooper helmet. And there was a great story, if you got to see the panel, about how Brian was able to find one of the few Hero Stormtrooper helmets in existence, disassemble it carefully, mold right off of it, and recreate it exactingly down to every flaw. His words were, if you want a prop as close as possible to the original, you want their Legend props. And as far as just their limited edition and signature editions continue, they still had some stunt sabers out on display, and they're going to continue their X-Wing helmets with a Wedge Antilles helmet, which is a great fan-favorite character. I've always found his helmet to be a little lackluster. It's just kind of this olive green. Yeah. Out of all the pilots at Yavin, Luke had the coolest helmet. He did. Very cool. How come no one's making, like, the Endor Rebel Trooper helmet? That's because it would be a re-sculpt. This is, you know, once you got the X-Wing helmet, well, paint job, paint job, paint job. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know that too many people are clamoring for the Rebel Endor Trooper helmet. I might be. To finish off our show, though, here's something you might not have heard of, because we hadn't, and there's a company called 3A, and they mentioned them earlier in the show. Jacob is a fan of theirs and a collector. They recently got the license to do six-inch, super-articulated Star Wars figures, but only for release in the Asian market, similar to Kubrick's and... You know, there's a lot of different licensing issues, and if someone owns something similar in one country, that another company can't come in and do it. Like, you've seen those giant keychains that look like three and three quarter inch figures. Well, someone already has the license on three and three quarter inch figures, so you have to market it in a way. Which is why Lego can't just sell you a minifigure, because it interferes with Hasbro's license. And as long as Hasbro has the license to do things like the Epic Force line and whatnot in six inch scale, then other companies can't in the U.S., but... Here is Jacob to fill you all in about this soon-to-be, highly sought-after international collectible. Hello, Star Wars Action News listeners. This is Jacob, and it's been a while since I've had a chance to sit down and talk with you. I used to have a somewhat regular segment over here on Star Wars Action News, and then I went over to the now-playing podcast side of Vinganza Media, where I'm one of the rotating hosts. Like, right now, we're counting down to the Avengers in 2012 by doing a huge Marvel retrospective, where we're talking about all the movies based on Marvel comic book properties. But I'm not here today to talk to you about Marvel or comic book movies, anything like that. I'm here today to talk to you about Star Wars and one of the lines that I saw 
at San Diego Comic-Con this year that got me really excited. Now, a, a little bit about my Star Wars collecting. It's really waned over the last couple of years. The reasons, you know, I was never a really high-end collector with Gentle Giant and Sideshow. I was really a Hasbro guy. And with the prices just going up and the availability going down, it didn't hold my interest. You know, really the only thing that I collect now when it comes to Star Wars are the Star Wars-themed Bear Bricks and Kubrick figures. But there is something I saw this year from a toy line that really caught my eye as far as it goes with Star Wars. And ironically, this was a company that pretty much took away all my Star Wars collecting budget money because I wanted to collect everything or as much as I could from this other toy company. And that is 3A Toys. Now, 3A Toys, its head designer and the person who really creates the look for all the figures is an artist named Ashley Wood. He started off doing video games like Halo, and then he moved into the comic book world doing Spawn, Salmon Twitch, Kiss, Psycho Circus, Metal Gear Solid, Tank Girl, went on to create some of his own comics like Pop Bot, World War Robot, Zombies vs. Robot, and those latter three have all been picked up by Hollywood and are in various states of production. So he's an artist who's really caught the eye of not just the comic book world, but the toy world. And in fact, this year, 3A Toys won the Designer Toy Award Manufacturer of the Year recognition, and Ashley Wood received the Artist of the Year Award. Now, in 2008, I picked up my first 3A toy. This is really pre-proto 3A days when Ashley Wood was just working with another toy manufacturing company called 3-0 Toys. And this figure I picked up, it was a 1-6 scale robot, and it blew me away when I saw this at Comic-Con. It looked like it was metal and rusted and this weathering on it. It, you know, looked like it had been in battle. And you touch it, and it's just vinyl. But the level of detail was amazing. The articulation, I don't know, 40, 50 points of articulation, each joint on the fingers, individual knuckles, all articulated. So I picked that up. That was my first toy, and slowly it became addiction in 3A toys as they started putting out more and more figures. They have different lines. They have, again, the World War Robot line based on his World War Robot comics work, which is just all these different robots fighting each other. And then his Pop-Bot world with those figures based on the comics. He has a toy line he made just called Adventure Cartel, which is just this superhero universe he made, which is basically punk rockers versus zombies. He's also licensed toys for the classic British anthology comic 2000 AD, and he's put out Mongrel from the ABC Warriors and Tharg, and they are already working on a Judge Dredd figure as well. And then this year at Comic-Con, they announced, you know, they're going to be doing a Halo series, but there is also some prototypes there. Now, for a long time, Ashley Wood, he's like many of us, uh, you know, raised with that 70s and 80s toy culture. He's a huge Star Wars fan. And he's like, if I could just get the line just to put out a Greedo, I'd be happy. He, he's a huge Greedo fan. So th there's pluses right there for you, Arnie, with 3A Toys. It's being created by a guy that loves Greedo, just like you. And he's been talking about, you know, I want to do a Star Wars line, but it, it's hard getting in with Lucas and, you know, you got to battle with Hasbro and all that. So he's teamed up with Takara, which is a Japanese toy company, also known as Tomy. They, if you remember those little remote control R2s where the lightsabers were the remote control, he's teamed up with them to work on a 1 12th scale Star Wars license, basically 6 inch. Now the prototypes, he had three prototypes there, two stormtroopers, a clean and a dirty variant, and then a bubble fit. And they were all carded, and these cards were there to kind of mimic the vintage style, the old Kenner vintage style, which he's, again, a huge fan of. He started putting out, you know, most of his figures are in the 12 inch scale. He started doing something called Action Portable, which 
which were six-inch scale. And he really designed these cards to look like the old Kenner Star Wars vintage cards with the silver lining going around the card and the way the figure's positioned in the blister with the picture of the character on there. You flip the card over and you got that 12-back grid or the 16-back grid or however many back grid that they used on the various Kenner cards. So he's really always wanted to do this Star Wars line and it's really there to kind of mimic the old vintage look, which is hot, hot, hot right now. As we know, Hasbro's doing their vintage line. But what really blew me away looking at these prototypes, I mean, okay, you have an armored figure with this Stormtrooper. No big surprises there. Pretty easy, I think, to make the armor look good, you know, whether it's in three and three quarter scale or six inch scale. But the Boba Fett was what really blew me away. Now, going back to his other figures, let's take World War Robot. He has these characters named Nom de Plume, which is this mysterious gas mask figure. And in the 12 inch figure, you know, beautiful, soft goods, shirts and army pants, laces, zippers that work. And then he said, he's like, okay, I'm going to make this figure in a six inch scale. And you're like, okay, so it's going to have like a plastic shirt and the pants will be plastic. You're going to lose all those soft goods fabric. No, it's still there. This stuff is hand sewn zippers that actually work. It still retained all those little details that the 12 inch version had. So when I looked at this Boba Fett, you know, it's not plastic pants and a plastic cape. If it's soft goods on the actual costume, it is soft goods on the six inch figure. Highly detailed. These are all highly articulated. Again, these are prototypes. They're still going through the licensing phase, the approval phase. So there wasn't a lot of information about distribution, about pricing, anything like that. What I can tell you based on 3A's previous releases is that for these six inch carded figures, when Ashley Wood and 3A Toys puts them up on their own website, they go for $40. That includes the price of shipping from China where the factory is. Now, these are very low runs. I don't know what the kind of runs he's going to be doing if they do finally acquire this Star Wars license, if everything gets approved. I'm guessing he doesn't release numbers, but the manufacturing for most 3A toys are in the three, four, five hundred range, some very low. He always does lots of surprise variants that may be as low as the 20 range, maybe a hundred or less. It, it's difficult to tell because he doesn't like to build up hype on something just because it's scarce. He wants people to buy the toys they're passionate about, whether there's a million of them made or two of them made. Now, distribution. I talked to him about distribution because a lot of the times he sells his toys directly to fans. He has his own store, bambalandstore.com. You go on there. He says, okay, this figure is going to go on sale on this date at this time. And you show up and you hurry and buy it because they could go pretty quickly sometime. And then uh, a few months later, because these are all pre-orders, they get shipped out to you. Now, this again, this is different because it's with Takara. So they'll probably hit retailers. When I talked to Ash about these figures, because I was like, oh my gosh, you actually have the Star Wars figures here. He said that because of Hasbro, you know, they have exclusive rights in the U.S. that these are only going to be available in Asian markets with a wink and a nudge. You know, if you could order it from a store in Asia and they could ship it to you, then you could get it here in the States or whatever other country you may be in. So availability is iffy right now. Pricing, we don't know. We don't know a whole lot. I don't know the range. This is not a line where I see him doing a lot of human figures. He's really big into the alien stuff and the armored figures, though this is just speculation at this point. Again, not a whole lot of details, but it's something I'm very excited about. 3A has an extremely passionate following. Uh, you know, Arnie tried to get a look at these figures, and it was a madhouse over in that area. They had some exclusive toys. You know, on, on the message boards for 3A toys, only about 80 people said they're showing up to Comic-Con, but it was a madhouse every day. I was waking up at 3 in the morning to get in line to try to grab some of these exclusive toys for some of his other toy lines that he had for sale. And it was just a madhouse the entire time at Comic-Con. He has very passionate and hardcore followers, and so 
So hopefully if this line does get picked up, I'll be coming back to Star Wars Action News to help guide you through these 3A waters because they could be tough. There's a learning curve. When I first got into these toys, I, I learned if there's certain ones, if you want them, you need to buy them the second they show up on the website or they'll be gone in an hour. They'll sell out so quickly. If you want to see more just what 3A does, you can check out 3aonline.com. That is T-H-R-E-E-A online.com. Or you can check out 3aonline.com slash blog, and that's where they post a lot of notices of what's going to go on sale when and have, you know, prototype shots. I'm excited about this. I hope 3A pulls this off and they have a successful team up with Takara because I, I would love to buy Star Wars toys and be st- excited about Star Wars toys again. And for the first time in, in a couple of years, I am by seeing these Star Wars figures, these just prototypes, basically, that 3A showed. So thanks a lot, Arnie, for letting me talk about the 3A Star Wars line that hopefully will be coming to us soon. And we'll go back to you. Thank you, Jacob. And yeah, when talking to Jacob at Comic-Con, he told me this guy's a big Greedo fan. And so I think that as expensive as these figures are, yeah, I'll get a Greedo. Although I'd love to see a super articulated Han and Carbonite. Yeah, I want to see that happen too. I'd love to see that. And now to finish off, one last panel I attended was the Star Wars Books panel with Shelley Shapiro and Timothy Zahn. Not a whole lot of announcements there. I really think that now that Del Rey has a really big social media presence with Star Wars books on Facebook, most of the announcements are there. While she did run down what was coming out, it wasn't like at C2E2 where there were some big announcements that we were shocked by. A little bit of nailing down of the timeline, again available at the Star Wars books Facebook page. But, of course... Everybody's been excited because last week, Choices of One, the latest Timothy Zahn novel, came out. Heir to the Empire is coming out real soon. And while at Comic-Con, Mr. Zahn was kind enough to take a few minutes out of his schedule and talk to me about both of these books, looking back at Heir to the Empire and looking forward to what's coming in the future for the Star Wars fiction. And we're here at the Delray booth at San Diego Comic-Con with Timothy Zahn, author of so many Star Wars novels, most recently Choices of One. Hello, sir. Hi, nice to be here. Now, well, we were just talking before we started recording. You said you had a physics background. I was curious how you went from physics to being a novelist. Uh, Pure serendipity. I was working on a doctorate in physics. The project wasn't working. Um... My advisor was too stubborn to give up, so I'd spent, oh, about four or five years on this thesis project, and one morning I got to the office and discovered he'd died overnight of a heart attack. The project wasn't working, no one was interested in picking it up, so they offered me the choice of starting a new project with a new professor and said if I worked eight to ten hours a day, six days a week, I could probably get my doctorate in two years. Well, the morning that I found out my advisor had died, I also found out I'd sold my second story to Analog Magazine. Uh, I was having a lot more fun writing than I was doing physics. I tried the physics thing another semester, discovered I couldn't do both. I just didn't have the energy for it and decided, okay, let's give the writing thing a try. So in January 1980, I began writing full-time. Well, I'm, It seems to be working so far. Worked out for you, and I know millions of Star Wars fans are just so happy you did, and uh, all sci-fi fantasy fans as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk to you about both new books that are coming out, the re-release of Heir to the Empire as well as Choices of One. Right. We'll start with Heir to the Empire. It's the 20th anniversary. Can you tell us a little bit about how the re-release with the annotations came to be? We were 
were talking, actually back up a little bit, there had been some talk about doing something special for the 20th anniversary. That's one reason that uh, Shelley Shapiro was interested in getting me to do a new novel, which turned out to be Choices of One. Uh, but they were still hunting around for what to do, you know, commemorative coin or, you know, poster or whatever. And I was uh, having dinner with Betsy Mitchell at Dragon Con last year. Uh, she talked about the 20th anniversary. Betsy, Betsy by the way, is head of, uh, of uh, uh, Del Rey's science fiction department, I think. So she over, oversees all their science fiction. And I suggested, well, we could do a re-release of the hardcover, and I'd write a new story for it. And she didn't say much at the time, but about a week later, I got an email saying, yes, we're going to do it. So, And we also want to do annotations, which was something I hadn't thought about, but it made a certain amount of sense. So... This is mid-September. They said, okay, we need a new story. We need annotations. We need a forward by you, and we need it by December 1st, which was a bit awkward since I had a book due um, January 15th that was only partially done. But Star Wars, a, a tight schedule kind of trumps a loose schedule, so went ahead. Uh, they had originally, originally been thinking something like a 5,000-word new story, my thought was if we're going to ask people to buy a hardcover, it should be something worth their while. So the, the Thrawn story I came up with, Crisis of Faith, turned out to be about 18,000 words. So it's actually novella length. And when you think about it, that's almost 20% the length of the original novel. So hopefully the readers will feel they've gotten their money's worth when they pick it up. And there are about 200 annotations as well that range everything from pointing out that I start the book with a Star Destroyer because that's how all the classic movies did uh, all the way to some more complicated issues like where did Mara Jade come from, how did I come, with Grant, come up with Grand Admiral Thrawn uh, various insights, all the, all the tuckerizations where I've put in friends and, and, and family names into the book, I, mar I tag those as well so, um, yeah, hopefully it's going to be, it was a fun thing to do. I'm hoping we get to do Dark Force Rising and Last Command 20th anniversary editions as well. Great. And I know that Heir to the Empire was a little bit delayed, wasn't it? It was supposed to originally come out, like, on the anniversary or right around the same week, and now it's pushed to a little bit in the fall? It was originally scheduled for June and then suddenly turned, uh, turned into a September book, which was kind of frustrating because... We had a tour scheduled for Choices of One, including Comic-Con. I was going to do Dragon Con. I was going to do Origins. And uh, Air 20th was now going to be after all of those. Um, the explanation they gave me was that they were afraid the Air 20th was going to be getting short shrift because all the bookstores were ordering a lot of Choices of One, but not too many Air 20th. And they thought... If they released them a month apart like they were originally planning, they were going to lose air in the shuffle. So they thought, well, in September we have the big Blu-ray release of the Star Wars movies. Let's put it around there. Originally it was going to be that week. They backed it up one, one week to September 6th to take uh, star, uh, bookstore front space into account. So uh, as, as a sort of an apology perhaps to the readers we have a bunch of book plates they made up 
20th anniversary book plates that I'm giving away here at Comic-Con, and hopefully we'll have enough for Dragon Con and and, uh, the rest of the tour as well. Great. Now, I've been reading some of the uh, annotations online on the Facebook page. Absolutely love them, and I think that that alone right there makes it worth the price of the reissue. The cover art's great, but the extra story is very good as well. Now... You may have covered this in the annotations, but it was widely said that Lucas was using Heir to the Empire as a testing grounds to see if Star Wars was still viable in the 90s. And I've heard rumors. I've never heard anything official about that. I, I know he was thinking about the prequels at that time. And it is true that nobody from Lucasfilm on down knew if anybody even cared about Star Wars anymore. The last movie, after all, was 83. This was, what, eight years later. And I suspect that if Heir to the Empire had dropped like a rock, he might have rethought doing any prequels. The fact that the first 70,000 copies were gone in two weeks off the shelves, I think convinced him that there was still interest in Star Wars. Now, looking back on Heir to the Empire... 20 years later and how it shaped 20 years of Star Wars to some degree, especially all the post-Return of the Jedi EU. If you could go back and do it again knowing what you know now, would you do anything different? I don't think so. Not really. The only the only major problems are that I, I assumed the clones of the Clone Wars were the bad guys and George completely snoggered me by making the good guys, you know, well done, George. Um, but the only reference I have is talking about facing the clones. And as I, this is one of the annotations, I point out, yes, uh, but facing doesn't necessarily mean fighting, hand wave, hand wave, hand wave. So I can probably talk my way around that. The other problem, the only, the only other real problem is the 15-year discrepancy in the timeline because we were originally told there was 15 years between the Clone Wars and the birth of, Han, of Luke and Leia. Then when the prequels came, or actually uh, before the prequels, but air was already out, they scrunched that down to right after the Clone Wars as we see in, in uh, Revenge of the Sith now. So all any, any year date, dating I do in the Thrawn trilogy is 15 years off. And I have had people point that out to me, but there's really nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Now, I'd like to read you a quote that you wrote from Choices of One that okay. struck me and that makes me think of Heir to the Empire. You wrote, The need to create is a drive that lies deep within each of us. We all strive to build empires, whether of stone or people or words. Empires we hope will survive us. In the end, though, each of us must necessarily leave our creations behind. All we can hope for is to leave behind a worthy successor to continue our work. Now, you put those words in Thrawn's mouth, but, yes. you know, I, especially when you say empires of words, I think, is this the author speaking to his readership to some degree? It can be interpreted that that's me, but of course words can also mean stirring speeches. I mean, how many people still quote the I have a dream or the um, some of the speeches, the statements of Ronald Reagan or John F. Kennedy. So it's not necessarily written words like a novel. It can also be oratory, anything that has inspired people through the years. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of me in that. <laughs> and while you haven't necessarily left Star Wars behind, you keep coming back every once in a while to do a new book. Once you start down the Star Wars path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Yoda said that later that same day. 
I, I was thinking, though, again, as I said before, Editor of the Empire really set the tone for how fiction would follow in the Star Wars universe from all the different authors, especially post-Return of the Jedi with the political intrigue that you added and the keeping of the Empire as an enemy for beginning there. Do you feel that the Empire you began has had worthy successors in the EU that has carried forward? What I might think really doesn't matter. It's what Lucasfilm thinks, and Lucasfilm has clearly uh, picked good authors, good stories. I, I frankly have not kept up. I just simply don't have time to keep reading. But the bits and pieces I do get sound like the expanded universe is alive and well and, and kicking butt all over the place. And now, let's take a look at Choices of One, and to our listeners, a spoiler alert is in full effect, as I'm going to go into some light spoilers as we go through. Now, when Allegiance ended, it seemed to me that you'd pretty much set up the storytelling points that would facilitate the bringing back of Mara and the Hand of Judgment for another story. So when you were approached to do a novel around the 20th anniversary of Heir of the Empire, did you have to consider what story you might tell, or because you'd kind of set this up, was this your go-to story? I have a half a dozen story ideas in mind, but I don't remember any doubt in my mind that this is the one I wanted to do at this time. I wanted... The, the, uh, the Hand of Judgment, five stormtroopers who have, are basically a Robin Hood, Zorro type of combination at this point, were a lot of fun to write. They, they were uh, connected well with the readership. It's always good to show that even in something as evil as the Empire, there are a lot of good people who are serving it either not realizing how bad it is or thinking that the fault is not in the leadership but in circumstances or whatever and just being able to show stormtroopers the common soldiers essentially who are who joined up to bring justice and order to the, the to the galaxy and watching them be able to do that in their own small little way uh, it was just I wanted to revisit that and I knew where I wanted to end with them as well and in Choices of One, we have some old friends from your previous fiction, of course, Mara, Jade, and the Hand of Judgment, but also Thrawn, Paleon, Cardus, and some others. Can you tell me how you make the choices of which characters you want to bring back versus creating new characters for the story? It boils down to who can be useful to the story I want to tell. Um, the last couple of books, I have not had 3PO and R2-D2, and some people have commented on that. Others have not really noticed they were missing. There simply is no role. In, in the Thrawn trilogy, the Hand of Thrawn duology, there are key plot points that they are involved in, but I don't want to have a character just standing around just to be in, in the book. Um, as far as new versus old characters, it... it boils down in some level to how many we've got. When we've got the major movie characters and we have Mara and Thrawn and the Hand of Judgment, we're getting kind of top-heavy. So mostly I will stick with the known ones, add a villain or two, um, and try to, to stay with that group. In the next projects we're working or talking with uh, Shelley about, there will definitely be new characters because I will be trimming back the old ones to a smaller, smaller group. And 
Yesterday in the Delray Books panel, you talked about how you kind of like to stay in the areas that aren't too continuity conflicted so you don't have to worry about stepping on continuity's toes. But the one thing I talked to Nathan P. Butler, who does a lot of Star Wars timeline stuff, and he knows that with taking in the Marvel Comics era into consideration, there's a lot of continuity that really fills the span between A New Hope and Empire. So did you have any continuity issues that would come up that the or the comics were still interfering, or is it still open enough that this takes place in between? I was given a bunch of the old Marvel comics when I first did Allegiance, and I've been hoping you have a, enough of a gap in there to fit in this story. Unfortunately, Marvel comics kick off pretty much right after Endor and didn't really have a lot of openings, but they told me I didn't have to worry too much about continuity with Marvel. I, I don't know if that's because they're not as hanging on to them or or what or whether it's just that they realize that fills a lot of the gap i know that i think dark horse is bringing some of those back or marvel's bringing them back i, I heard something about that at the comics panel so that might be a problem i think we're just going to have to assume that it slips in the cracks someplace in there but yeah that's um novel wise the only things in there uh, the only thing in there was i think the uh, splinter of the mind's eye and there may have been one or two others, but that, as as far as Star Wars goes, that's about the least trampled area for finding new ground to, to work. And given the backstories and introductions that you wrote for your own characters in Heir to the Empire, is it tricky to maintain verisimilitude when you have these characters close together and fighting on the same side but never quite meeting? That is part of the fun of it, knowing how the continuity has to work. And that's another good reason for having the hand of judgment. They act as a buffer between our heroes and Mara in particular. They can work both sides of that without ever having to... to um, you know, Luke and Mara can't quite meet. On the other hand, the way we've got some things um, in air, as I, as I reread it for the annotations... There is a scene in Air where uh, Luke and Mara have crash-landed on Mercury, and they're trying to get across, and she does some, cuts down some branches with the, his lightsaber to make a, a travois sled for R2 to carry him through the, through the forest. And Luke watches, and, and the line is, the way he saw, and the way she used that lightsaber, well, I can now connect that back to Choices of One, some of the things he has seen her do without knowing it was actually her. Semi-spoiler. <laughs> and, you know, in this book, Luke is still very much in the A New Hope mode, uh, which makes perfect sense given the time where it is. His most consistent weapon here is a blanket. So, <laughs> uh, it's such a change to read the unsure of himself Luke, the lacking confidence. Did you make yourself amused when you were writing some of these Luke scenes? Not really amused. I mean, I'm... I'm focused on trying to interpolate his character between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, trying to visualize where he is, and of course he's going to have a lot of questions, a lot of doubts. Obi-Wan is gone, he hasn't met Yoda yet, he's basically on his own. Whatever he got, whatever training he got from Obi-Wan on the Falcon on the way to uh, the Alderaan debris is it for him. There's not even probably anything he can look up and read about. So he is 
floundering around on his own. I tried to make that clear. He's also struggling with the whole, not just how do I use force powers, but what is the job and the task of a Jedi? What is the proper position? What am I What am I supposed to be doing? Never mind, what can I do? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to fight? Am I supposed to mediate? Am I supposed to take orders? Am I supposed to give orders? All of that is going to be, especially in a crisis situation, what do I do? And in fact, one of the nice things about cho- the title Choices of One, which they didn't want to use at first, until I, but I, reading the book talked them into it, is that several major characters are making choices that really do affect the rest of the book and the rest of the Star Wars history. Yeah, I did like how the title applied to so many different ways. In addition to a quote that's used several times throughout the novel that people reference a Jedi saying, you have it at the very beginning, but also how the plot kind of interweaves. That was something that I like to see where, you know, sometimes you get those titles and they don't make any sense. You're in the book and you're like, what did that have to do with anything? Be it a Star Wars novel or a movie. Yeah. Well, the quote, by the way, for anybody who hasn't hasn't seen it, is the choices of one shape the futures of all. Now, you picked up on a thread that hasn't been explored very much, if at all, in my EU reading, which is how Han came to have a rank in the Rebel Alliance, and how he starts to make the transition from smuggler to a rebel leader, and I thought it was a clever and very appropriate idea for this point in Han Solo's character. Um, What gave you the inspiration to explore that area? Again, interpolating where they are in A New Hope and where they will be in Empire Strikes Back. We've got Han is clearly part of the alliance in the sec- in, in Empire, very clearly is friendly to the alliance, or specifically to Leia in A New Hope. But there's got to be a transition period because, for, I mean, he's gone so long on his own, so long not being under any authority, it's not going to be a, oh, yeah, I like this girl, let's join up. He's going to be working with them, and, and as you say, they're irritants. He is not a, an officer, a leader, therefore he only gets bits and pieces of what a given mission is. And for a guy like Han, that's going to be irritating. So he's got that that conversation at the beginning where they say, look, if you want the authority, you also have to have the responsibility, and that means officer status. And you put some other nice connective uh, touches in here, like how the Rebels procure the cold weather gear that they're going to be using on Hoth, and uh, the T-47s that the Rebels fly that become the snow speeders. Were there any other touches to the movies that you hid in here that may not be as apparent or that you're particularly proud of including? Those are two of the big ones. Um, I, I'm sure there are a couple of others. You have to remember, it's been a long time since I've read this book because I'm a couple of books past that now in my, my own writing plus a couple of outlines. But, yeah, putting in the little, little connections and little threads is always part of the fun of doing Star Wars, especially something like Allegiance and Choices of One, where I do have threads in, leading into the future that I can put in that the readers will recognize. When I was doing something like the Thrawn trilogy, the, the future past that was open up, completely open. There was nothing uh, to connect to necessarily. But these intermovie ones allow for that, and uh, it can be a lot of fun. We also, I mean, the whole idea of how you use the uh, 
the uh, uh, tow cables on the T-47s, we get to use do something different. One of the things I enjoy doing in Star Wars is saying, is, is for example, cloaking devices. How can you use those besides just turning invisible? Thrawn came up with a couple of uses in the Thrawn trilogy. How do you use the uh, tow cables? We come up with that here. Uh, just looking at, okay, this is a useful gadget. What else can I do with it? And you mentioned other outlines. It was announced yesterday in the panel. You're in talks to do a new Star Wars book. You said you're visiting a new time period. And while we know you can't say anything about that, is there any idea of a tentative release date of when readers might get it? <laughs> we don't even have don't even have approval from Lucasfilm yet, let alone okay. a release date. <laughs> um, Shelley was telling me the first slot she's got open is I think November 2013. But if we decide to make this two books, we may she may want to find slots that are six months to a year apart, and that may take some more hunting. So at this point, we don't even have a release date. But again, we don't even know, now that Sue Rostoni has retired, we don't even know what the hierarchy at Lucasfilm is going to be. So we've gotten some positive uh, feedback from the Lucasfilm people here, but we still have to have an okay on the idea and then an okay on the outline. So when um, when we get something solid, I'll post it on my Facebook page. Great, and I am following that page. So what else are you currently working on that your readers of non-Star Wars fiction can look forward to coming out? Well, I've just finished the first book of a new series called Sybil's War, S-I-B-Y-L, uh, a 19-year-old girl who's kidnapped her an alien ship to help work on the uh, restoration crew. And, of course, things are not necessarily what they seem. The ship's owners have some strange things going on, uh, and she's going to wind up in the middle of it. Um, I am starting my next Cobra trilogy. The uh, Cobra War will finish up with um, Cobra Gamble in January of 2012. And I'm starting on the first book of a trilogy called Cobra Rebellion. And um, the last of the Quadrail series that started with Night Train to Rigel will come out, I think, next summer. I've heard June, but I'm not sure if that's official. Uh, again, my Facebook page, the notes section, has all the bibliography, all upcoming events, all upcoming uh, publications and such. So if people want to, to go there, it's facebook.com slash timothyzahn. Very simple. We will keep that. That's our page. Keep people up to date on what's happening. Okay. Well, Tim Zahn, thank you again for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoy the con. I will. You too. Thanks again to Tim Zahn. It was a great pleasure to talk with him there and just had a lot of fun and had a lot of fun at the con in general, truth be told. And despite the minor frustration points early on as the weekend kept going, it was just so much fun. I can't wait for next year and do it again, again. So that is our show for San Diego Comic-Con. Again, everybody at San Diego Comic-Con, Amy, Ryan, Larry, Alfredo. Special shout out to Anne Duncan's wife because she crocheted some awesome little Yodas for us. And that's great. Yes. I, we have a special kind of kinship. She understands <laughs> and it's all good. The girls stick together sometimes. Just to everyone we saw at Comic-Con. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and read you the credits of a film to all of the friends we got to see again, who we only get to see once a year, twice in a celebration year. Great to see you again. Looking forward to it. And we want to know what you think the best 
reveal at San Diego Comic-Con was, give us a call at 415-508-JEDI and let us know. And also let us know your thoughts on the whole Death Star debacle, the DSD. That's 415-508-JEDI, and we'll be talking to you again next week. We'll talk to you next week with our regular show as scheduled. No more Comic-Con. I'm Comic-Con out. I got the crud. I'm done. Now we just look forward to Celebration. There's another Comic-Con before Celebration. Oh, yeah. I got a year to recover. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com, HansHideout.Blogspot.com, and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated. Dus. Dus. <laughs> not Gus, not Duncan, just Dus. That's their new Dus. Yeah. I, I got to hang out with Daniel Strone, which is pretty. Um, I got to. It's cool, but in the way of news, little light. Little light. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> I didn't know how much we were going to talk about. I thought we were going to have a back and forth. <laughs>